0: Final thoughts,
1: Jeff. Final thoughts. I got a headache. I'm really tired. Uh, yeah, Final I can't thoughts, say Jeff. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Final thoughts. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We love you. Stay around. Hang around. There's more to come. Some stuff you may expect. And some you may not. Dun, dun, dun.
2: I was crying the whole time. I really am embarrassed for him. I don't know what we have left. I really don't. Uh, tonight the cast is here to uh, reflect, to dissect, and to hopefully answer the question that I think is on everyone's mind right now. What the hell just happened? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal.
2: What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of banalofamerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 5. No serious in-house notes here at the beginning of the show, except that we are obviously still looking for feedback regarding BOA 2.0, the new look for Banal of America. We launched it about 10 days ago or so, and we've got tons of great feedback, tons of insight into what people like and don't like and want to see changed or returned to the old way. But, of course, we always want to hear more from the folks who are visiting Banal of America and have thoughts on BOA 2.0. So head on over to BOA, check out the new face of Banal of America, click contact and send us your thoughts on BOA 2.0. That's it for the in-house notes, so let's get down to business here on this week's edition of the program. Our guests are the co-hosts of the popular paranormal podcast, Paratopia, Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney, and they're joining us here for a special episode dubbed Aloha to Paratopia. And it's called Aloha to Paratopia for two reasons. Obviously, first of all, the lost illusion, but that's really about as far as the lost element goes. And the second one is, as I explain later on when the interview kicks up, Aloha is the perfect word here for this situation because Paratopia is saying goodbye to their classic version of the program and then in turn welcoming a whole new style for Paratopia starting this week. So we're going to get into all that stuff with the boys from Paratopia. We're going to look at how the program first came about, why they're changing the style of show, and how the whole change is going to happen, how it's all going to shake out, how people can be a part of the new Paratopia. Then we'll look at some classic moments on Paratopia over the last year and a half, including the infamous Emma Woods series of episodes, Jeff and Jer's ghost hunting expedition, as well as their trips to the X Conference. Clearly, I am good buddies with Jeremy Vaney. We co-hosted The Lost Cast this past spring, and we featured Jeff Ritzman on the program numerous times. So we're all good friends here on this week's edition of the program. And as happens when we have repeat guests on the program or old friends, the conversation definitely turns into a general jam session over the course of the two-plus hours. And we're going to be jamming on ufology, exopolitics, the paranormal research community, podcasting, and a whole bunch of other big picture elements of esoterica. So not only do you have the big tentpole topics we're going to be talking about, but the conversation definitely turns into a jam session along the way. All in all, really, it is a peek behind the Paratopia curtain with the always entertaining Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney. Think of it as a post-show after-party with the boys from Paratopia. It is aloha to Paratopia. Goodbye to the classic version. Hello to Paratopia 2.0. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney, allow me to give you a bit of background on them. Since it is two guests, I'm going to have to trim a little bit from their bios. You can find the complete bios at BOA or at their website, which you'll hear at the end of this bio segment. Jeff Ritzman has been actively involved in UFO research for just over 20 years. He refers to his involvement as a personal one after several odd events in his life from age five on prompted him to explore the field of UFO research. In an effort to learn more, he's applied his work as a digital imaging professional to the ever-growing pile of UFO photos and videos and has become a recognized image analyst in the UFO field working on visual data. He was the primary image analyst in the O'Hare UFO case, and is cited in the NARCAP report of the event for his work. He's also worked on landing trace cases and experiencer support investigations. Jeff has also provided footage and information on cases to the History Channel and the Gulf Breeze UFO Conference. Working with AboveTopSecret.com, the Internet's largest alternative topics message board community, Jeff has done examinations on multiple UFO cases as their image analyst experiences with the UFO phenomenon continue to the present day. And then we have Jeremy Vaney. Jeremy Vaney is a writer-producer kind of guy, pumping out everything from books to music videos to feature films. He's also a columnist and editor for UFO Magazine, as well as director of Culture of Contact, a New York-based conglomerate of artistic experiencer types who like to sponsor and produce events around the city. He's the author of I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land and producer of the feature documentary No One's Watching, An Alien abductee Story. Collectively, their website is www.paratopia.net, P-A-R-A-T-O-P-I-A dot net. Check it out for Paratopia 2.0, the all-new stylings of Jeff and Jeremy, and the complete archive of the classic version of Paratopia, 70 episodes, including a slew of interviews with esoteric luminaries. And now, without any further ado... Let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on June 9th, 2010. Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman say aloha to Paratopia on BOA Audio Season 5. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Ben All of America Audio. We've got two guests here for you this week. It is a special episode. I'm calling it Aloha to Paratopia. And as I explained to Jeremy before we started the interview, aloha means in Hawaiian hello and goodbye, which is perfect for uh, this situation that the folks at Paratopia find themselves in, as they're saying goodbye to the old format and hello to the new format. So it's the perfect word, and plus we want to tie in the whole Lost thing. So now I can pretend I'm Jimmy Kimmel, and we're saying aloha to Paratopia with Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney. If you're a listener to the Lost cast, you've heard them on the program before. If you're a listener to Paratopia, you've heard them for the last year and a half on their program which has recently uh, sort of in the midst of undergoing a change from, I guess you could call it traditional podcast, I suppose is the best way to put it, to uh, listener content-driven podcast. Very experimental idea, but very exciting as well. We're going to talk about all that stuff, talk about the evolution of Paratopia and the world of paranormal podcasting. As crazy as it is. So, uh welcome to the show. Jeremy, you've been on before, so welcome back and Jeff, welcome to BOA Audio. Thanks. Thank you, sir. You're not gonna be talking over each other the whole time, are you? Yes. Yes. Oh, you almost did it again. Anyway, so for folks out there who are who are unfamiliar with Jeff Ritzman, uh Jeff, why don't you give us a little, you know, thumbnail bio. Who is Jeff Ritzman? How'd you get mixed up in the paranormal scene?
1: Uh, I'd say he's relatively unimportant. Let's move on to bigger things. Uh, now, I, uh, uh, I started in this about, uh, jeez, 22 years ago this year. Um, basically, I don't know, more or less got into it trying to look into my own experiences and subsequently through my career as a doing digital imaging, I've kind of lent my help where I can, uh, to above top where I was there more or less their official image analyst for a while. And, uh, I've worked on a lot of image cases over the years and, uh, uh, I guess wrote more than a few exposes on the hoaxes that have, that have come across my table. Um, aside from that, it's been pretty much, um, uh, I don't know, in the league of, uh, field investigation and, and, and digital imaging. So that's kind of where my, my strengths seem to lie with this thing. So I've been doing that for a long time, took a break and came back and, uh, found Jeremy and we started doing the podcast together. I mean, that's roughly how, how it's been going.
2: All right. Jeremy, how about you? I have a little bio for the folks who uh, somehow missed your earlier appearance on the show. Well, I'm a failed comedian, Tim.
0: <laughs> Wait. Um, my bio, well, let's see. I'm an experiencer. Um, I ended up writing a book and writing for UFO Magazine and starting a conference called Culture Contact. And through that process... I ended up on coast-to-coast and infamously got booted from coast-to-coast, and that put the fire under my butt to start podcasting and sort of do it myself. And then when I was all ready to hang it up, I met Jeff in the process, and when I was ready to hang it up, he said, hey, instead of hanging it up, why don't we join forces? And I said, huh, that's so crazy, it just might work. And the rest is history.
2: All right, so that's sort of like your background and, and sort of how you came together to form Paratopia. Right. All right. Let me see here. I didn't really come into this with too many questions. So oh, I guess <laughs> we, we've only got <laughs> hours to cover. So that's... <laughs> well, let's, I suppose we'll cut right to the chase in a way and sort of tackle the, the late, latest news here, you know, with you guys sort of making the transition from one style of program to the other. How did this whole thing come about? You know, how did you come up with the idea? And, you know, give us some background on, you know, what happened here with Paratopia.
0: Well, why don't you take the origins there, Jeff, because you did most of that, I think.
1: The old direction essentially was looking at the scope of paranormal podcasts out there and seeing not only a lot of the same repeat guests, but also kind of the repetitive nature of what people were covering in the paranormal. And uh, I don't know. I, I kind of looked at the whole podcast scene. It's kind of akin to Ghost Hunters. It's like every week we get an investigation. We get uh a review and we get a reveal. And it's kinda like, Yeah, we get it. It's all real. Let's what let, let's go a little further. And so uh I think that's pretty much where I said to Jeremy, we're not gonna cover the the normal fare that most of these podcasts do. We're gonna try and go a little bit deeper and we're gonna try to go outside the field because I've said for a long time now that I don't think any good answers that that could possibly be had or better questions, which is really what we should be looking for, are going to come forth out of ufology or the paranormal field in general. I think we have to go outside and start looking in different directions, directions that might not always be within the interest of just, say, the UFO-interested public yeah. or the paranormal-minded public. And so that's what we started doing. We just started uh, you know, delving into hypnosis into quantum physics into all sorts of different professions and, and, and disciplines and, and just trying to look for some sort of thread to pull on that might I don't know for a scientist to come on and say well what you're describing in an experience kind of sounds like X and let's discuss that yeah that's kind of like that was the premise for doing this show is just to go in a different way
0: well but also then the comedy which I think a lot of people attributed to me and I uh, sort of Drove it, I guess, but I think it was actually originally Jeff's idea, which was, you know, let's do it like a sort of an old radio serial where we have a running plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's call it Peritopia. Let's do an island theme and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I believe uh it was actually your idea now.
1: Uh, I think so. I, I mean, my, <laughs> I guess I kind of dropped out and away from listening to a lot of podcasts because they were just so also goddamn serious. And and I thought, well, this used to be fun. Like when I first got into this, I met interesting people, and you know, we'd go to Denny's after MoveOn meetings, and so like it was fun. And so why can't it be fun and still learn something and still make a point? And so I thought, well, you know, Jeremy's a great skit writer. Why couldn't he write skits for this show and we kind of like hook people into to a good laugh and have some fun, and then have them stay around for the serious discussion? So that was like that was the basic premise of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I think we were under the delusion that that with the comedy we would actually be attracting new blood who would then, you know, stick around for the paranormal stuff. You know, maybe they'd come in thinking it was a joke and then they'd be roped (laughs) into the the deep discussion. But it actually kind of, you know, I think with these podcasts you have a certain audience, and and that audience actually, at first, did not want the comedy. Um, Well, I shouldn't say that. Some of them didn't want the comedy, but I think most people came around. To at least tolerating us. <laughs> if not finding it
1: funny. <laughs> and you also have to realize that, it, by and large, most of the comedy was treated like, I mean, it was more or less like a political cartoon of the paranormal. Uh, all of it like had a, a distinct,
0: yeah, I mean, all of it had
1: a distinct point we were trying to make with it, but, uh, you know, Some people just said, well, this doesn't have any place in this because you won't be taken seriously. It's the paranormal.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I on. mean, come on, like, <laughs> wait, we're in the – para- none of us are being taken seriously, you know, exactly. once you step yeah, – You might as well
1: have some fun while you're trying to poke around in different venues and see what you got. So that was the idea.
0: Now you so said, now I think, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I was just going to say with, with the new direction, like, you know, my thinking with it is, okay – Again, we found ourselves in a position of both kind of wanting to quit at the same time, and instead of doing that, we realized we have this large audience. It'd be a shame to let them go. Why not do listener content, but not just like YouTube of the paranormal type stuff, but actually produce it in a way where we're driving that. We're asking them the types of questions we'd like to hear from them, uh, and we're trying to get the audience to actually be in on the critical thinking, so they're not just listening to us ramble on and on, but they're actually part of the rambling on process <laughs> in a way that I, I hope uh, produces a better critical audience um, who's also not afraid to, to, to speak up. I, don't, I think that's sort of the missing element at this point. I, I think, um, well, just even in terms of the, the fact that we did this, you know, this um, series on Emma Woods and hypnosis and the people who heard it were really affected by it. And it was really I mean, nailed sort of David Jacobs career shut in a way, but, but did it because it didn't really break on the, on like ATS or any of the big paranormal forums because it's, um, it's a rational topic that you can get your head around. And it's not something that caters to the imagination. It's sort of a black and white issue in a way. Um, so I think seeing that was disheartening. And I think like if there's a way to make the audience be more Uh, self-aware, more critical, more intelligent in how they listen and how they view all of this stuff then maybe the next time a story like that breaks, it will break big.
2: Well, I know that they've been waiting on a cover story on the Emma Woods thing at UFO Magazine for a while now. So, Well, they can keep waiting. (laughs) (laughs) So it was sort of like just general fatigue and then a decision to take it in a different direction to sort of engage the audience more. Is that what I'm hearing here?
0: To make the audience engage engage the questions
1: themselves more, Yeah, you know? I mean, if I can in- interject this, I mean, the other part of this is that a lot George Hansen, our favorite guest, I mean, trying to become involved in this, I mean, at least from my end, and I can't really speak for Jeremy about this, but I mean, I, I know he sees the points that I make about this whole thing about being involved in the paranormal community at all, sooner or later, or earns you the ire of certain people, which then compounds into... Uh, all sorts of unpleasantness, whether it be offline or online. And oftentimes, not only is that a factor in, in absolute debilitation of trying to produce a show that actually means something, but it, it occupies more of your time than actually looking at the field or the subject that you're trying to study. Yeah, exactly. You become engrossed in other of these side tangent things, which I believe is part and parcel to how this works. And so, when you're talking about starting something that's going to be user-generated content, I kind of feel like if we spread the responsibility of generating this show in the same direction that it's been heading, which is in these new and different directions, then I think everyone at that point is kind of shouldering a little bit of that burden. In that, it it, it won't just be Jeremy and I uh, who will. And I don't know. I'm not going to say like you know anybody who generates a podcast for it's is going to get a load of crap from someone. It's not like that. Just Sandy, but it's. It's, it's just, <laughs> right. I mean, it's just kind of like we're moving forward with this as a community. And I think as a community, as more than a person or two people, I think it's easier for uh, for us to get at this if we all move together as a group rather than two guys or a guy uh, forward on that. It's kind of everyone kind of shouldering that that burden. I guess you could call it a burden of sorts that seems to come along with being involved in the subject. So hopefully that'll work. I think it presents for those, uh, out there who like a target. I think it provides a moving target, which is good. Yeah, uh, exactly. cause it yeah. won't be at yeah. the same host every week. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I just think that that, that ultimately is going to be a, a useful way to, to present all of this as a community rather than a, just two guys.
2: Yeah. just Trying to throw off the trickster essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially it. The trickster and the haters out there who just—they're oh, one and the same. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now, how how exactly is this all going to work? I mean, on a technical level, like someone, let's say, you know, let's say Sandy, for since we just love using Sandy as an example, let's say Sandy wants to create, like, how do they create their content for your show? How's this going to work? Well, she can either.
1: Oh. Uh, <laughs> Don't pick on Sandy. Sandy's a great. Uh, yeah. No. You, no. can either... either.
0: What you'll do is you'll you'll email us at uh, paratopiapodcasts at com your idea for a show, and uh, one of us, most likely me, will get back and say, look, this is what we'd like to see. Uh, you address with this show, you know, A, B, C, D. Um, and either we'll record it for you or you record it and send it to us, and it can be up to two hours. Um, so that's part of it. Another part of it is um, based on what we hear, we may set people up with interviews, you know, with luminaries in the various fields um, of their choice. Uh, and anyone who's been a past guest on our show can also come on, do a lecture, do an interview, whatever it is that they want to do. They've, they've got up to two hours um, to do it. So it's, it's all of that together. And so far, I mean, you know, I've pre-recorded some stuff and had some stuff sent to me, and it's great. You know, it's going really well. So it's really easy because all you really need is a microphone. Uh, barring that, I mean, you know, I've got the recording technology, so you could arguably just talk over the phone. And if you're embarrassed and talking to me over the phone, I can just put my mic on mute, hit record, and walk away. And when you're done, you hang up.
2: Well, I like it too because, to, like Jeff was saying about the burden part, in a way, it's not—it sort of puts like the onus of responsibility back on the audience, in a way, or at least. You can do like you can do that in the sense where, I mean, we've all had people out there that like critique the show, but they don't produce their own show or anything. So now you can be like, you know what, dude? Episode X Y Z of the new Paratopia belongs to you, asshole. So go, you know, let's see what you can bring to the table because now you know we're throwing down the gauntlet at you. So I kind of like that, but I don't know if you'll <laughs> if you'll do any of that. You know what I mean? It's just right. that's the frustrating part because like well, I, I, you know anyone can do uh, this dude and as we're finding out as the year goes by <laughs> right uh well i mean i think
1: i don't want to i don't want to give the impression that if someone gives us an outline for a podcast that we're going to read it and we're going to twist it around to make it what we would do right i mean i think there's still i think there's still a lot of freedom on their end uh to talk about the, whatever subject matter that they want that that pertains to paranormal you know subjects i think that uh we're just going to put in, you know, these are the points that we're going to require that you address if you're going to talk about this subject. Well, part of it is building um, the story. Everything else from there, you know, is your deal. I mean, yeah, part you, of it you're letting the story the show. Though,
0: Jeff. Like, like people will say, sure. okay, here's my life story and like four or five things will like jump out at me and I'll, and I'll be like, okay, these are, these are huge. Like I've never heard this and now it's just the way you build this. And so that it looks like a narrative. Exactly. You know, but yes. it's still their story. It's still them telling their own story. It's just sure. here. I think are some highlights that you need to uh, think deeply about it and not just gloss over.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. So we're not just going to puppet these people in front of us, you know, as, as toys. This is going to be uh, their gig and they're going to go through it uh, just as if they would do it. Only there are going to be certain criteria that have to meet a standard. Cause I think we have set a standard at peritopia for certain things. And uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I think, by and large, we've, uh, I don't know, in the last uh, so many episodes, we've ignored the detractors of certain things or the people who would uh, malign others for no apparent reason. And uh, it, that's not something that we're going to allow. We're not going to really get into, I want to do an expose of this guy or that girl. Or, we're not. That's not what we're after. I mean, we're after talking about the subject and how your take on it may be something that we've never thought of before. And I think, again, more heads on the problem uh, may equal some kind of better alternative to what uh, is currently being discussed out there.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's exciting. I'm excited to see how it develops, and and it's good to give these people a chance to sort of develop their own stuff so, first of all, they can see (laughs) fucking how hard it is to produce shows. And yeah. and they can also sort of become a part of the process, which is great. I know you said you didn't want to do these expose episodes, but of course, as you sort of alluded to already earlier, the the Emma Woods one probably was the most like ground shaking episode you guys did, or the most ground shaking series of episodes that you guys did. I mean, is that safe to say?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I would say. I don't even know if I call that an expose as much as it was just news. <laughs>
2: That's true, Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that was out there already. It's not like you guys dug up Emma Woods and brought her out there. I mean, you guys were the ones who showcased her stuff. Obviously, there was a firestorm of reaction to the the whole story and everything, but did you guys, like, did you feel the, the heat from it, or was it more just like people getting upset over the story. We're like were people like were they upset that you were like biting the hand that feeds you in a way. Do you know what I mean? I can imagine I can I'm I'm picturing like sort of the mindset of some people where like, you know, at the end of the day like you protect the field above all else at the at the detriment of of truth, if you will.
0: I don't know. I got some of
2: that. I, I think
0: originally we got it from people who were huge David Jacobs fans and were like, how could you? How could you yeah. besmirch this noble man and then once the evidence became just completely overwhelming, and his response was so lackluster, that completely went away. And then it was a matter of, I think, rival shows, or let's say rival show, and various people on, and associated with that show, coming after us probably for personal reasons, masking it as you know coming after us for this or something. But um, so there were those two elements, but I really only had one live in-person encounter with um, a friend of David Jacobs, who, and this was after we'd done the whole series of shows, and he was really upset. <laughs> I mean, he he sounded like Jacobs. He sounded like he had read only Jacobs' uh, rebuttal and nothing else and none of the evidence. And so he was repeating it back to me. And, you know, I'm pretty educated on the subject at this point. So it was like, no, you don't understand that you're not making any sense. And I understand that he's your friend, but you know that has nothing to do with this. So, uh, it, you know, I I don't know if that's really the, the sort of like don't don't rock the boat with this. You know, don't kill the sacred cow. Yeah, uh, I think it had more to do with people's friendships and people's fandom than uh, than anything else.
2: Yeah, I guess we should probably give people sort of a primer on the whole Emma Woods thing so they know what we're talking about. And, of course, they should go and check out the series of Paratopia episodes where you guys discuss this, but for people who are listening and haven't heard the whole story, um, can you give us a thumbnail on the whole Emma Woods thing?
0: Well, basically, Emma Woods, um, she's going to see a psychologist um, about her abduction-type experiences, her lifetime of experiences. psychologist says, you know, I don't know what to do with this, recommends uh, her to David Jacobs now doesn't know anything really about Jacobs, just that he's one of the foremost authorities in the world. So needless to say, they contact Jacobs Jacobs. Uh, she becomes one of his star clients. It's going to be like her and this, this other woman who are, you know, he's really concentrating on and, you know, his new book is going to be about and all this. Now at some point this gets completely retarded uh, They're doing hypnosis over the phone, first of all. They've never met in person. So right there, it's bad. So they're doing hypnosis over the phone, and he is sort of co-creating a story of alien hybrids with her under hypnosis, uh, partially by telling her what other people have said under hypnosis while she's hypnotized, and then they get into, you know, what's going on with her, and, and it all sort of bleeds into each other. And then another woman, and th- these are pseudonyms. Uh, Emma Woods isn't her real name, and this other woman, Elizabeth, that's not her real name. But this other woman, Elizabeth, who he uh, is also subject of his, she starts sending him instant messages. Or she claims she's not sending them. Rather, evil hybrid aliens are sending them from her computer, sort of putting her in a trance and forcing her to do this or something along those lines. Yeah. So he's getting these instant messages from hybrids. And they're all like, we know you're on to us, you know, uh, so we're going to take care of you. You know, Jacobs is getting scared. He thinks hybrids are after him. It never dawns on him to ask Elizabeth, hey, are you hoaxing me here? Or are you pulling a fast one? Now, add to this that Emma Woods has a sleep disorder that makes her get up and do stuff at night. And part of what she does is send him uh, and her psychologist and Elizabeth emails just saying things like, help me. You know, things like that, which he then interprets as the hybrids doing this. So it becomes this whole giant story of David Jacobs running from evil aliens. And so the way that he protects himself is uh, to use these what he calls tactics, uh, which involved, uh but were, we're not limited to, but certainly involved, hypnotizing Emma Woods, implanting in her the notion that she has a multiple personality disorder, and he knows it's a multiple personality disorder, and that's what he believes all abductees suffer from, and that's what his next book is going to be about. So that way, the next time the aliens abduct her, they will read her mind, they will (laughs) read that about him, and they will be thrown off his trail. So this is the – now, the beauty of this is she's got uh, pretty much all of this on tape. (laughs) So she's got the audio of her hypnosis sessions. She's got the audio of her talking to David Jacobs and trying to say, look, You know, at some point, she comes to her senses and says, this isn't right. Something isn't right about this, and I need to stop this. And he doesn't trust that in her breaking off the relationship that she's going to do right by him. So there's this audio tape on her website that is just the most fascinating, voyeuristic, sort of awful thing that you can listen to of her trying to convince him that that she's, you know, she's going to break away. She's going to do her own website, but she needs to tell people why she broke off her relationship with him in a way that makes them all look okay. Yeah. And he just doesn't trust it at all. And it just becomes uh, just ridiculous. It becomes this sort of ridiculous reality show where you realize, wait, you know, all of this stuff is just nonsense. Like this, this gets back to what we, and and actually Jeff more than I, because I certainly did read all those hypnosis books by Bud Hopkins and Jacobs and Mac. Uh, So more Jeff than than me uh, realized that, that that whole narrative of hypnotically retrieved stuff was was just bunk, was garbage. And this, and so here it is in action. Here's why. It's like it, it was one of those things that we always sort of suspected, or Jeff actually sort of felt he knew. But here it is in action. Here's exactly why. A, B, C, D. Yeah. How this thing happens in a human being under hypnosis? You know, uh, with with these abduction researchers.
2: It was almost like the abduction community's worst nightmare combined with the skeptics. Sheer delighted that they finally had a way to show exactly what they've been talking about all along, almost. Yeah. So.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of the reactions that we got. I mean, one of the things that we didn't mention is that I think you could pretty much surmise that a lot of letters that we got that were negative against that show and against the other show that was kind of just prior to that was uh, Dr. Scott luenfeld who had written the book uh, "Pseudoscience and Psychology," in which he covered. The problems with this regression hypnotherapy and how it's being used—you uh, know—it was used for everything from satanic ritual abuse to alien abduction to name, name, name your poison—and he went over with us on a prior show to all of us blowing up. Just why this is such a bad practice? And I've been searching for someone like him for years to come on and to level his expertise and his authority on this subject uh to the UFO community because I've I've been staring this in the face for years. Um I I've been present at conferences where people that I knew from abduction support groups and whatnot were, were laying down in a hotel room and letting their buddy do this to them. And I'm thinking, this is just this is not right. I mean, is this where you're remembering these things from your buddy telling <laughs> yeah. you you're getting sleepy? Now what where are the aliens? I mean uh yeah, it this, this just aggravated me for years. So to get somebody like Scott Lillenfeld on was great. Uh, and I think that that immediately evokes a response from people whose only memories of an experience and who call themselves experiencers derive all of their memories from hypnosis. Uh, right, right. There, there may be a small portion of it where they feel like they may have had missing time, and then they go forth to seek out somebody like David Jacobs or Bud Hopkins or whoever. Uh, is engaging in this still which I can't imagine anybody would after listening to Lillenfeld. Uh, and then that's where their memory comes from i mean through the years we've seen that if you take uh, Hopkins Jacobs and Mack and you put them all together and you look at their their line of uh, experiencers that they put under the you know the spell i mean you, you could see definitive differences in the storylines and the and the, the narrative that goes throughout all of these stories per abduction researcher I mean, that in itself makes no sense, and that ought to tell everyone something about hypnosis. And so I think a lot of people who wrote us and didn't like those episodes, that was because it negated their experiences as something they should seriously question, if not outright dismiss. And so that, that's possibly where a lot of that, that uh, negativity came from with those episodes.
2: Yeah, because they're left wondering what the fuck – they're back at square one. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, well,
1: they should be. <laughs> I know.
2: Well, that yeah, was that's a huge bone of contention
0: on our forum, where people saying, "Really? So, what are we supposed to do? Just throw out all hypnosis testimonies?" Like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that's called science.
2: That's kind of what I was saying in the earlier <laughs> convoluted question that I had. You know, that to me the whole thing was fascinating because it did upset the Apple Car so much because. Abduction seems to have split off from ufology back like in the late 80s or something, and now it's doing its own thing. And to the detriment of ufology, it's sort of just taken as a peripheral assumed part of the field when I still think that it shouldn't be even related to UFOs. That's just my opinion. Like I just don't think – I mean I think we need to have a a more serious delineation between abductions and UFOs because I don't see – aside from some interesting cases and stuff like – I don't know. I just have all, all kinds of issues with abductions, but I thought that you know what you guys did really sort of shined a spotlight back on abduction, as it had kind of been allowed to go on its merry way, unexamined by ufology any longer. Do you know what I mean? It seemed like the ufology just like let it let it pass after a while. So I'm glad that you guys did what you did. I have no qualms with it.
1: I mean, unfortunately, the the, the bad part for me, and, and this is my personal opinion of this, is that. Unfortunately, the years that this has been left to go on without challenge from within the community at all, uh, or very little. I would say, you know, I know some people who've spoken out publicly about it and been crucified uh for their their take on it. I certainly have gotten more than my share of, of venom because of what I said about hypnotically retrieved memories and the notion of using it for experience or uh memory retrieval. But uh <laughs> This whole thing and the people involved, I think most involved in it, being the Hopkins, the Jacobs, the Max. It's not that these are, I don't, I don't look at these men as evil people. I, I, I do think that, um, there's misguidance there. I think that there's a lack of critical thought there. But unfortunately, like it or not, their work has completely colored the public's perception of what this experience is. And so the minute that you tell someone, uh, I've had some experiences with uh, what, what are you know what are most commonly referred to as UFO occupants. Immediately, it goes to uh, hybrids and alien fetuses and the taking of sperm and ovum and the probes. Oh Christ, the probes! You know, I mean that's uh, and, and that all is born out of that that narrative that's been painted for the past what 20 years now right, or yeah. more. And that's the that's the most unfortunate part of all of this. And, and like Jeremy said, people on our board said, "What well, does that mean? We have to throw it all out?" And yeah, the answer is yes. And then the question after that is, "Well, where do we go from here?" Well, I don't know, but find a way.
2: <laughs> exactly, dude. I mean, we how don't, about how
1: about just yeah. you know you don't you you don't uh, uh, there are and, and this is the other thing that, that just aggravates the hell out of me is that there are a lot, lot, lot of people out there, just like myself, who remember stuff completely outright as it happens. And there is no need for hypnosis. I mean, if uh, I'm not saying I remember every minute detail of what I've experienced. There are some blank spots. Am I interested in poking around at those? No, thank you. (laughs) Uh, I, I know what I experienced outright through the majority of it, uh, if there's something I don't remember, there's probably a reason for that. so it, there's plenty of people out there that remember things directly, and so to go poking around on people whose memories are sketchy at best is is a poor way to look at this. I think we have to talk to more people who recall outright their experiences, and that's probably a little bit better than uh hypnosis you know hypnotically retrieved memories, although Dr. Wilensfeld said, "Memory in itself is ultimately flawed. So, is there a good way to get at this? I don't know, but uh, but certainly the way it's been painted the past 20 years, I- I'll call it, is woefully inaccurate and uh, and incomplete and edited. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Too. Well, that's
0: the thing. I mean, hypnosis aside, uh, you know, I had asked Bud Hopkins on my old Culture Contact podcast." do you um, include everything? And and the answer is no. He has outlier data. How do you have outlier data um, of an unknown? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. So what he's admitting to is he's taken the unknown and shaped it into something that is, that is knowable, right? Uh, You know, which is probably because that's more presentable to the media, or maybe it's because it caters to his expectations and maybe his fears, um, that sort of thing. So, that has nothing to do with reality, right? Well, I've heard, and then you uh, and it's like, woo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I've heard that sort of that sort of critique from you know Melinda Leslie and the people who do the the, the MyLab research. That you know the abduction people don't want anything to do with MyLabs, where it's like we got to throw it all in together, I guess, if we're going to try and figure this thing out. Not not just take bits and pieces and try and, like you said, form it into a narrative. So. You know, it's a troubled area, the whole abduction area. I can see the people's point of view that's like, well, what do we do from here? But at the same time, it's like, kind of like to throw back to what Jeff said way or at the beginning of the conversation. Dude, This is the paranormal, man. We've been fumbling around blindly in the dark on all this crap. You know, that's par for the course. So we just go back to fumbling around in the dark and not relying on the fucking equivalent uh, of those little ghost hunting machines that don't mean shit either. I guess that's probably all we need to say about the Emma Woods episode. Is there anything else we should touch on with that? Or what, was, what the hell was Jacob's response to all this? He just sort of, uh, a no comment sort of thing? Well, his first response was to
0: say, was, his first response was actually when we did the uh, Lillianfeld episode, uh, we emailed him and said, Look, we want to ask him about your, about this hypnosis tape where you basically implant the suggestion that she has multiple personality disorder. Would you like to make a comment on that? And his response was to not respond to us, but to eat, to find Dr. Lillianfeld's email and email him directly and, and called him the wrong name. Dear, dear Dr. Greenfeld, which was already on, uh, and said, look, you don't know the whole story, uh, blah, blah, blah. Please contact me before you do this show. Now, Lilienfeld, uh, read that to us right after we had just finished taping. He was like, uh, oops, oh well. <laughs> Uh, So then we did another episode dissecting those tapes. We, again, invited him back on, invited him to make any sort of statement. He just ignored us. And then eventually he said, all right, I'll tell you my side, but it's got to remain confidential. (laughs) Like, are you serious? I mean, we're not the guys that you do the confidentiality thing with on this because we're the guys trying to get the whole story out there. But we decided to do it anyway. We, We kept his confidence. And essentially, what he told us was the same thing that he uh, published on his website, and it was just as unsatisfying uh, in secret as it was <laughs> in, in public. You know, I mean, basically, he's saying she's crazy. That's his defense. She's crazy, and um, but what he but what he's admitting to is having used those tactics because what what he's saying she's crazy about is like. Well, they they both agreed at the time that it was the right thing to do under the circumstances. Of course, those circumstances are that he's being harassed by instant messenger, uh, by hybrid aliens. So, given that she must be completely off her rocker to now think that that, that bunch of tactics used to throw them off uh, was was wrong. She she must be crazy now. Apparently, <laughs> I, you, you know. I mean, this is just like get your mind around this. This is what this man is is thinking, and now I'm like, how, how did he get away with this for all these years? And I don't mean that in, like, he's a criminal sort of way. I just mean, how did he go so long without anyone going, hey, is this guy, like, on a level? Because this is all kind of a little loopy. Like, how did that not happen earlier?
2: Well, it makes you wonder if, if it has, and I get the impression based on his response and everything that he's just going to wait this thing out and hope that it goes away. And I get the impression that's sort of the attitude of the abduction community. Because as you said, if it didn't hit ATS. It seems like that they think they'll weather this storm, if you will, without having to change tactics or anything like that. And well, they're all
1: too emotionally invested in it. I mean, right. come on. Yeah.
2: Unfortunately, I think that they're probably right. That's that's not an indictment against you guys. That's an indictment against the community. The people that heard your show and the people that are listening to this are clued into what happened. but. Like the larger body politic of it are sort of just whistling merrily to the next uh, abduction conference or something. They don't want to know. They don't want to be challenged well, yeah. at all on all it, this. It, to that end, I mean, Emma had said that she um, you know, originally she
0: had um, like written to one of, one of the places where he was going to appear. She had written to the head of the conference and said, look, this is what this guy has done to me. Uh, just know that that's who you're letting be one of your major speakers, and the response she got back from the guy was something along the lines of, "Are you a hybrid?" Oh God! Are you saying this, sir? Are you a hybrid alien? It was like, like this is. I mean, this is the kind of just complete asinine, uh, you know, behavior and and mindset that uh, has played ufology since I've been here, <laughs> since I've
2: seen yeah. it. Yeah, and, like, you know, that's a decision maker. (laughs) That's a guy who's booking people for events and shit. So, I mean, that's troubling, (laughs) to put it mildly. But, you know, the UFO community is just completely fucked up as it is. I mean, we could spend all day, and we'll probably get into that right now. I mean, it's just the whole field is full of infighting and people, I think, who are – they all want to be like the Galileo of this whole thing. So, They're going to cut off everybody else at the knees, too, at the same time, and people who are so invested in the whole ETH or whatever their pet theory is that, like, they don't want anyone to even fucking put anything forward that's going to change their their story.
0: Right. Well, this is why, again, like, I'm glad we're changing the format of our show. This is sort of, in in my head anyway, I don't know about Jeff, you know, our last attempt at raising a good community because it's not, you know, there's so many new podcasts out that have just come out this year and it's not, um, it's not the quantity of people asking the questions. It's the quality of people. And so I feel like we need to start raising
2: quality minds to ask quality questions. Yeah. You wonder even unfortunately too, if they even want to ask questions. Do you know what I mean? I think like, I was also I saying. That, yeah segment of the audience that just wants to be told what it is. They don't want to, you know.
1: Unfortunately, I think that's about 85% of the field. (laughs) The field, quote-unquote the field. The the UFO-interested public, uh, I think that that's that's 85%. They want a story. They want some kind of, I mean, this exists largely as entertainment for them, and that's what they want. They want a good story to be entertained or to sit back and and laugh at the loonies, and um, unfortunately nothing's getting done that way.
2: So, right, uh, and the whole I feel like the whole field's just been stagnant anyway for like 20 years as it is. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: <sighs> like we're absolutely. not getting anywhere with this whole thing. So to the point where I've almost lost interest in general ufology, you know what I mean? I have to look at other avenues of ufology that might be interesting to me, such as the historical parts of it, like the 70s, 80s period or international ufology because there's nothing in contemporary ufology right now that is even remotely interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm inclined to agree there. Um, I mean, I got to say, when I got into this, there was no internet. And I think that um, the the couple of conferences that I went to in D.C. before everybody was online and there were podcasts and chat rooms and message boards and all of that, I think that, um, I, I mean, I personally found a higher level of people to talk to these days it seems like you go to a conference, <clears throat> excuse me, or you have a message board. Uh, I, I mean, we've been really careful with our message board to, um, I don't want to say weed out the week, but, uh, weed out the week. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and people who you can immediately talk to them within five minutes, you know, what their ideology is with this whole thing. And, uh, We're not really interested in belief systems per se, unless in some way they pertain to an ancient culture's belief systems and how it may apply to what we're looking at. Uh, I'm not interested in people's belief systems about this. Um, It's interesting to hear a theory, but you can't – you're building castles in the air, and that's 99.9% of everything that we see in this field is uh, castles built in the air, because everybody's so afraid of the one fact, which is that we don't have any idea what this is about. Right. Everybody wants to slap the ETH uh, thing on, or they want to strap the, the most famous strap on now is the uh, the interdimensional theory. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting, but, uh, I, you know, I'll never forget it. And it, it, this is not any kind of dig on Dr. McAbee at all, but I'll never forget going to the X conference with Jeremy, and we're sitting there at the panel discussion at the very end. We're just, I, I said, "We're sitting here." I said, "What are we doing here?" <laughs> this is like this has been like my favorite mantra throughout this entire journey of paratethering. Like, what are we doing here? We're sitting in a room where everybody thinks that this is extraterrestrially based, and I'm curious. Like, how do they know that? Like, all these people on this panel—they're all—they all seem sure of that. How do they know, and Jeremy? You know. Having balls akin to what was seen in his uh, latest comedy flick, um, he stands up and goes over to the mic, and he says, "I'm just curious. You know, how does anybody has anybody really solidified this as extraterrestrial?" And and Dr. McAbee said, "Well, I assume you're talking about multi-dimensional or anything like that, and it, that's that's a great idea. It's, it's it's interesting to look at, but I don't know where to go with that." And so that was the answer that we ended up getting with a lot of people, and my answer to that was, "Well, can't we find out where that goes? Uh, the problem is is that something like that obviously is going to it's going to be uh, is going to require a lot of thought, number one. But number two, it may guide you in directions that aren't as engagingly interesting as your typical UFO or sighting or encounter or landing or whatever. Um that that there may have to be some sort of Jesus, this is the most boring shit I've ever read in my life, but you may hit upon one thread that may lead you in a completely different direction and a different line of thought on this, yeah, and that's what we try to do and and I hate to say it, but I feel ultimately walking away that the majority of people out in ufology aren't interested in that and that's just really evidenced by the one woman who spoke immediately after Jeremy talked and asked this question. I hear this little voice from the audience go, what are you here for? It's like immediately a question like that is met with some sort of smarmy, volatile answer. I mean, is that the way this should be? I mean, I would have looked at her and said, you don't know who, what the hell this is either, so who are you to talk? Right, uh, right. This is the big problem, Tim. I mean... Nobody knows well, what it is. For you the
0: know? alien thing, I mean, it's a narrative, right, that we can all understand. Human like beings, enough yeah. like us that we can, you know, have trade relations with and all this. Stuff. I mean, it's it's a scenario that you can make money off of. You can, I mean, that's what the disclosure movement is. Yeah. It's a money making scheme that tells a story that everyone can understand. The only way you can really do that with, with interdimensional. Um, is like to say reptilians from the fourth density, which already sounds <laughs> right. completely idiotic as soon as you use the word density. Right. Uh, but, okay, but but then when, so then you're not, you know, y- y- you get this narrative going of, again, beings kind of like us from, I like, think sort of pop in and out of reality that we have some sort of trade relations with. I mean, it all gets back to beings that are just like us, and, and the path of least resistance for that is, of course, aliens, because... Right. We understand that from movies and just from how we know we are, and from TV shows, uh, we just then assume and project onto them. Well, that's the way. That's the way they would be. They would be just like we've seen in movies.
1: Right. It's so <laughs> all very. You can sell that. I mean,
0: obviously, if you can sell it in a movie. You can sell it as a conference, as a uh, a live uh, mm. Book <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons type thing, or yeah, or yeah, comic book, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, I've said before too. Uh, you know. That's ufology's dirty secret, that we don't know what the fuck's going on. And it seems like everyone, no one really wants to admit that in the sense that they're always sort of like pushing some theory of their own without sort of just laying the baseline out there that's like, listen, we have no idea what this is. I feel like if the field sort of took a complete right turn and went at it in that direction, we'd actually have a lot more success in winning people over, the mainstream people. We were like, listen, we've been looking at this for like 50 years. We're stumped. We have no idea what it is. Instead of, like, we're really, really pretty sure it's aliens. We're pretty sure. You know, I think like, that seems to be what the what the message that's put out from ufology is. You know, we've almost, we're almost so close. We've almost proven it. We're, we're so close that it's aliens. Just trust us.
0: Well, the disclosure movement is convinced that it's aliens. It's right. aliens, and it's just a matter of getting the government to say, what they know and how long they've known it and what the relationship is that we have with them. My question to anybody is, okay, even if it's aliens, why is it that we don't treat them like aliens? Why is there nothing alien about them to us? Like what is it about putting that word aliens on it where it's immediately like, all right, these are bipedal, you know, humanoids who speak our language and wear clothing and, you know, they're just like us. They're just scientists doing experiments in the way we would. I mean, is, is consciousness, human-type consciousness, so universal that that would be the case, you know, with all of these beings that are reported in these multiple body types, you know, be they reptilian, gray, Nordic, light beings? I mean, they're all basically the same thing in different bodies. Yeah, so how is that. that? How is that possible? And the thing that they are is human. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I, and another way to look at it is – You know, we we also, a lot of people talk about them as though, well, these things have been here forever. They've been some chariots of the gods and that sort of thing, or Zachariah Sitchin's work. Well, how long does an alien have to live on Earth to no longer be an alien anymore? I mean, if they're talking to us in English in our heads, and they seem to know us better than we do, and they've been around for at least as long as we have, how are they aliens anymore? I mean, they pretty much live here and know us, right? Yeah, we're like their pets. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm I mean, not what they are. I'm just saying what they can't be, and what they can't be at that point, under you know, by definition, is alien. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, there's a there's another point here to make be made is that the whole narrative of the alien thing. I mean, regardless of whether you want to call it interdimensional, I don't care, crypto-terrestrial, extraterrestrial, <laughs> extra-dimensional, whatever label you want to slap on it. I think that by now, and I'm surprised that n- no one has talked about this very much. I think by now, people who have had some sort of conscious experience with these beings, whatever they are, have noticed one thing that they can drastically affect human perception at will. Yeah. And so, my question at that point is how do you believe anything? And I I say this for myself as well. How can I believe anything that I've experienced and seen with my eyes? um, How can I look at that and go, yep, that's what they are. That's what they look like. Um, I I mean, I've seen subtle changes and dramatic changes in the visual apparition of these beings. Um, Knowing that they can affect human perception to such a large degree, I'm not sure how anyone sits at a podium and says, here's your typical gray or here's your typical reptilian or here's your typical pleiadian um you know i mean I, for my money all these things are the same thing um, uh, but but it, i don't know it, it, that's one thing that's always confounded me about all of it is like you know they came in a ship they took me away they did medical experiments and then i woke up back in my bed and I You know, as much as I hate to say this, and I say this about myself as well, it's like likely we didn't go anywhere, uh, or if we did, um, it certainly, it, I look at all of that as like very top-level experience. That's what you outwardly perceived during this this experience, but there's more, and, and that's what we've been trying to get at, with number one with this show, is like there's more than what we're seeing here because these things affect perception. Uh, you know, it's going through a cultural filter. It's uh, it, it's it, it's far more alien. I mean, I, I like Jeremy. I, I I think it's amazing how pedestrian this is all viewed. Um, you know, I mean, my favorite guy, Terrence McKenna, said, "You know, somebody sees a disc in the air, and right away they think it's an extraterrestrial craft." He's like, "Maybe it was just a disc in the air." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and it's, that's, I mean, that's an abstract way of voicing it, but it's the absolute truth. I mean, we don't know what it is, and, and it's shown that it's not to be trusted to be perceived in such a way as to really understand what it is. Well, just,
0: see, here's another problem with perception, and I'm just thinking of this as you're saying it, and I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but I've heard this same female voice associate that I associate with abductions. I've heard her tell me things in dreams that were definitely controlled, if you want to call it that. Uh, I've heard her during an abduction scenario, uh, which was not a dream. Mm-hmm. And I've heard her during my big I am God experience at the end of that, which was more real than anything you'll ever experience. Yeah. <laughs> more, <laughs> real, <laughs> more, real than, more real than anything I've ever experienced. <laughs> Uh, and so, these are all different scenarios in which I'm hearing this woman. So, she can come into whatever state of consciousness I'm in and and treat me the same way. What does that mean? What does that mean about human consciousness? I mean, and then what does it mean for like abductees who say, like, well, I had the, the, this dream. Well, it wasn't a dream. It was aliens, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, I've had the dreams that are like, they're dreams. But there's one piece of it, which is this woman's voice, which is not of the dream, which is like coming in to sort of interrupt the dream and say, look, here's the deal. Uh, now, if I'm a different type of person, if I'm more open and, and maybe new agey or whatever you want to call it, I might say that entire dream was an alien abduction. wasn't? You know what I mean? Like I might not have the powers of discernment uh, that I have. Um, so I think all of that gets jumbled up into – I mean, it becomes this soup where you don't know, um, you know, what what is real. You don't know uh, what the word "real" means anymore at that point, and you don't know why it is that there are beings that can talk to you uh, in life just as simply as they can in a dream, because we still don't even know what the hell dreams are. We still <laughs> don't know what our brain is doing, and yet we're 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 already defining what these things are doing, and clearly. They're not working by our rules, so how is it that we're defining them by our rules? I guess that's sort of what I'm getting at.
2: That's deep. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to make some joke about the, uh, <laughs> the Paris Hilton thing, but I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> someone It's its a long story. I don't know if you heard about that, Jeff. Someone got mad at me because I said some Paris Hilton joke was deep when we did the Lost episode. Um all right. Well, I feel like we should move away from UFOs for a while because otherwise, uh, you know, we'll, we're going to keep just getting confused, I think. Um, makes you wonder why we're even mixed up in this. But you guys are sort of taking one foot out of it, which is an enviable position. You know, I, I envy you guys tremendously, but we will continue on with we we'll be away for a while. Now, what about this ghost hunting road show? I'm looking at some of your previous episodes and, and sort of want to revisit some of these these editions of the program. Tell me about this road show that you went on, Ghost Hunting.
1: <laughs> I think they hunted us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we we actually, I wrote uh, Mark Nesbitt, who is, you know, the ghost of Gettysburg guy. He's been on more television shows, and he's written a slew of books about uh, people's experiences that he's gathered in, in Gettysburg, and, and, and actually in, in uh I think it's Fredericksburg as well. Okay. Uh he's written a couple of books about and uh unbeknownst to me, he didn't live in uh in Gettysburg. He did live in Gettysburg at one time, but it turns out he was actually fairly close to me. Uh and so he ended up coming over the house uh for his interview and coming into the home studio and and doing his interview that way, which was great. And um I don't know we more or less put him on the spot at the end of the story so, Hey, can we come to your place and, and check it out? Because he's got uh some activity going on, and we, we just thought that would make a great show. Yeah. And, um, and we went, we took a couple of listeners, and, um, and my wife and my kid and Jeremy, and we all piled in the car and, and, and went there and spent the night. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that we got some, uh, some good stuff. I think that the place is definitely active. But again, it, um, there's these correlations between, things that you find paranormally that seem just too coincidental to be a coincidence, uh, such as the 3 a.m. thing. I mean, we had some minor things during the night when we stayed there. I mean, we were all up all night long, started out on the battlefield, gradually went to Mark's place, set up cameras. I think we had two cameras running and about four DVRs running uh, and a Macintosh with the blue snowball Mike hooked up in the kitchen upstairs, all of these places said to have activity at one time or another. And um, small indiscriminate things throughout the night, but come to three o'clock, the place erupted. I mean, we had children's voices downstairs that two of the participants heard and recorded um, and not only recorded it on their, their DVR sitting between them, but actually uh, the camera in a stairwell also picked up. Oh, wow. the same voices. So we got it in two independent places. And um, I, I know that this is, this is definitely one of the reports that there have been children heard, seen. Uh, we didn't see anything. we got an interesting photograph that uh, I think is going to end up being shown on the, an episode of the haunted. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing, again, nothing you could absolutely nail down as anything, uh, Concrete, but this is what we're used to with the paranormal stuff. Yeah, we do intend to go back there and take uh, listeners that we've not met before uh, to do the same thing again. This time, I've I bought a lot more equipment to do this. We're also tri- planning another trip to uh, Point Lookout Lighthouse, which is in southern Maryland, and the lighthouse is uh, is available to uh, uh, to investigators to go in from nine a.m. I believe until two or three a.m. And from what I understand, being being told by a couple of people who are involved with booking those dates, very few people have stayed until two or three. So it's obviously active. I've heard a lot about it. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I count that as, as one of the better episodes that we did because it is, uh, we, we've had interesting things happening during the podcast in the way of EVP stuff and whatnot, but to be there in that place, not only with the history, but, uh but was a really active, a paranormally very active area. What was a pretty big deal, and I think um, I think Mark Nesbitt is by by far one of the kindest people that we've come across in the paranormal, just far as his absolutely trusting nature and willingness to work with us uh, and letting us stay alone in his place through the night. I mean, that was that was beyond the uh, the kindness that you you'd see out of most people in this field. So. Yeah, we do plan more of those. I mean, we're trying to get some stuff worked out right now uh, with Mark and, and get a hold of him and get something to set up, and then we're going to take people out and see what happens. So, um, okay, it was, was a fun night, definitely a fun night.
2: So you did it with like a legitimate good ghost hunter, then. Obviously, uh, yeah. well, I mean,
1: it was his place. He he actually he left and left off alone in the place, but he you know he's had psychics come in. He's had. Big-time ghost hunter guys come in and 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 do work. I mean, we were just another crew that came in and did our thing and yeah. and walked away with some decent stuff. Um, it's, it's still, uh, you know, totally ambiguous stuff. But uh,
0: although I think hearing church bells at three in the morning, and I was the only one who heard them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> loudly. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was, it was weird. Good for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, uh, I mean, for me, uh, I, I know that, uh, Jason and Lisa, not my wife Lisa, but, uh, another Lisa that's, a, a fan of the show, uh, they were downstairs and heard the kids. I think that was the highlight of their night there. For me, it was about the time that, uh, um, I, I don't know, it was like, what was it, Jeremy, but four, quarter to four, four, four thirty, four fifteen, something in there. Everybody was talking like, Immediately started winding down, and when we started realizing hey, guess what it's uh, it's almost morning we haven't slept, yeah, and so we all went up to, upstairs into the back room, and uh my wife and my kid were already flaked out in the in the bedroom area upstairs and jeremy and 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 lisa and and uh and myself, we went to the back area of the house and sat in chairs and fell asleep and I mean, I've said this before on the show. I, I can't really qualify this as, as, a, as an experience because I was asleep, but something woke me up. It sounded like someone walking through the kitchen. Okay. And um, I, I kind of, I had my hat down over my eyes, and I lifted my hat up, and I see uh, women's feet wearing like flat black shoes, uh, no heels or anything like that, just flats, um, with what I would say is like a muumuu. Uh, outfit on. I, I only saw it from maybe like ah, knee down or maybe thigh down, and it walked to the edge of the doorway and it walked away. And I just said, "Huh, it's my wife." I said, "Lisa, my wife." Uh, put my hat back down and, and went to sleep. And when I woke up in the morning, I'm like, oh, "Wait a minute! First of all, nobody was wearing shoes the entire time. And number two, who the hell's wearing a moo? <laughs> certainly not my wife." Uh, So who was that? I mean, and then I thought, well, did Mark's wife come in? And I don't think she would have come in. And we asked, and she hadn't. I I had no idea what that was. That's Uh, weird. But I I damn well know what I saw. Did you get it on tape? It it is on tape, yes. It did come across on the Macintosh, which was running uh, full-spectrum audio right there in the kitchen. And you can clearly hear the, the, the pat of, like, a leather shoe on the linoleum. And like I said, we had left all of our shoes out. We had been on the battlefield. It had been muddy and dirty, and we didn't okay. want to track stuff into Mark's house. So everybody was in their socks. Nobody was in shoes. Uh, but yet you hear shoes on the floor. And it, it was right around that time that we had just barely flaked out, and and there it is. I mean, uh, Mark had said that sometime later they had a psychic in the house. Now, certainly a muumuu is not Civil War attire. <laughs> and, uh... I don't know. As bizarre as it sounds, he said that the the psychic picked up on some woman who was an Italian immigrant who didn't know where she belonged. Um, and one of the uh, frequent ghosts in the house that they've that they've uh, more or less, I suppose, identified. This Kitzmiller, She was the owner of the house. Um, said that she didn't know who this woman was, but she was pissed off because she was messing with her kitchen. And the age, the the era that this woman was, I mean, a moomoo kind of fits. It, it fits this, the the part. So it's like I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is this like? Is your house some kind of, like, ghost social worker house or something? It's like a halfway house? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it was really strange, and I, you know, I got to say, I, I don't put an absurd amount of emphasis on psychics and all of that, but it, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what was that? I mean, it clearly wasn't something... Uh, I I don't know. It clearly wasn't Civil War era, but it was clearly someone there, and it seems to fit the profile of what they were talking about. You know, the the woman seemed—I don't know—surly. Well, I mean, I guess the legs. You could tell by looking at the legs that it was, you know, uh, a heavier woman. uh, Obviously, tackles working, huh? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, shorter than my wife. Certainly, <laughs> heavier than my wife. And and um, I don't know. It just. But in my stupid state of half awake, half asleep, I just went. Eh, it's just my wife coming in to see if I'm asleep. Maybe. Maybe she wants me out there. I don't. I don't know. Maybe she heard something. But I was too care. Too tired to care at the time. Yeah. So. Um, I can't qualify it. It's just an experience, and that's That's what I remember about it. But I, I mean, for me, that was. That was pretty pretty amazing stuff once I woke up. <laughs>
2: so, yeah, you're making me want to go on a ghost hunt now. That sounds cool.
1: Yeah, come on and go, man. Yeah.
2: What you guys should do, see, because I was kind of hoping the story was going to go in a different direction. You should try and find the the nation's worst ghost hunting group and go, <laughs> and, go <laughs> and go on a trip with them just to see what that would be like. A lot of beer drinking, pot smoking, little meters <laughs> that don't do anything, you know, running around. Right. I, think I covered that in my movie, didn't I? When I Oh, yeah. On the side of the highway, we kept waiting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Jerry yeah. just keeps thinking in his head, well, you know, life in a wheelchair can't be that bad, so we'll just stay here on the side of the road till. <laughs> till Especially some... when
1: you can put the wheelchair in the back of your truck by yourself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so then you did another road trip to the X Conference. And now, I know you guys, we're all sort of on the same page on on the exopolitical movement, and you guys were probably pretty much, I think you were in that zone when you went, correct? I mean, you weren't like, you weren't ex-con enthusiasts. You were sort of more going to, I guess, see the show, if you will. Uh, yeah, I, I, was just going, I, I think I was just going to see Jeff at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and meet Eric Close, I think, uh, also.
1: Yeah, That was yeah. a good
0: highlight. He's, uh, he used to host the New Sphere podcast. As you know, back
1: in 1970, I started on a series called what happened? And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, hey, what happened? <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that and a lot of other catchphrases.
0: You're listening to Banal of America Audio.
1: And that's good, because that's how you establish a cult.
2: Well, what was your impression of, because I uh, we've talked about this on when I was on your show, because I, I attended the original X Conference, the first one, and the second one, which was sort of like a downgrade. And it sounds like you guys went to, like, the third or fourth one, which was by then, like, really into exopolitics.
0: Well, like, we went to a couple of them. I mean, that, well, did we meet, We met at the Greer one,
1: right? That's correct, yeah.
0: And the Greer one, I mean, that was, like, I didn't know anything about Greer. I just knew, like, I had friends who were really into him. They are like, you, just wait till you hear this guy. So I was going in there all gun ho And at that point, Steve Bassett had spoken at the Culture of Contact, and he had said, you know, uh, you're the future of this. You know, it was like he was passing me the torch, kind of thing, which I'm sure he regrets. Uh, <laughs> so I was going in there, you know, all pro, whatever, um, not knowing anything about this stuff, and then, and then it, it just turned real, real bad, real quick. Yeah. As soon as anyone on that stage opened their mouth. But then the next time I went, um, I, I think I think I've only gone twice, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the the next time I went, it was just purely, let's go hang
2: out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting sort of crowd, because like I said, when I went there, it was just sort of, the exopolitical thing was just starting, so it was a lot of big stars and shit, and it was sort of like, this thing's just starting, but then it exploded, and by the time you guys went, it was like, the explosion had gone gangrene or something, I don't know. Uh, So it's interesting to see what it's become, like, in the last few years. Although, thankfully, it seems like exopolitics may be running out of steam now, especially since it's gone international, which usually is a sign of waning American popularity, at least as far as, you know, like, David Hasselhoff goes and bad shows from the 80s <laughs> and shit. Seems like exopolitics has gone the, the way of, of that whole thing.
1: Exopolitics, the who's the boss of ufology?
2: Exactly, yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Um I don't know. I think the last one that we went to, Jeremy, I, I mean, I think it was equally as attended as, as the one prior. I'm um, I mean, I starting to wonder if it wasn't three of them, but I think it was two. See, I thought there was three, but I can't remember. Uh, maybe it was. was three. I mean, that's how that's how memorable these are.
2: Um, well, they did do one in the fall and one in the spring one year, and then they skipped that's a whole true. year. So it was, a con- yeah. it was a little confusing. I stopped after yeah. the second one because the stars stopped coming in. And- then I was like, I've seen these people, fucking, you know. Once you've seen them twice, do you really need to see them a third time. That's my
1: story. yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was kind of good to like go and 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 say hi to Rich Dolan again, and it was great to hang out with uh, with Nick Pope uh, the one day uh, at the bar. I mean, that was all those things. That's the reason you go is to hang out and and uh, and kind of talk to these people and 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 get a real feel for what they're what they really like. I found that I found that the sociological parts of it really interesting, but um, I, I don't think you're talking about an especially astute crowd when it comes to the subject. I mean, I think one of the most regular attendees I've seen there is a little old lady with a, a, a red beaming light on her finger. Um, I mean, who's just a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that's. I think it's going more in that direction uh, of that sort of uh, of a patron than it is like really serious people who are looking for an answer of what this is. That crowd seems to already know what it is.
2: Right, exactly. And I think that,
1: well, I think the part of the story that I leave out when Jeremy stood up uh, to ask his question at the panel was that Steve Bassett then became uh, what I would say was pretty agitated and then began pounding his fist into his hand saying it is confirmed it is unquestionably extraterrestrial. And we know this. Something along the lines of he can't say a whole lot, which which kind of you know gives the illusion that he's in the know of something with some informant of some kind.
2: And this was at the disclosure, uh, conscience at the disclosure. Yeah, I mean, mind you. Yeah, it's like you know we can't talk about this, but
1: we're you know it's just like Greer's thing. You know, you sign your NDA before you go to a uh, yeah <laughs> to a to a to an outing, but yet you know he's he wants this all out in public. So. um I mean, that's. I just took away from it that it's it's a show. I mean, it's like a, it's like you want to see a Broadway show. It's a play. And uh, the idea that somebody like Michael Sala gets a Lifetime Achievement Award there is just
0: Well, i nice. just said As soon as you hear crazy people talk like, uh, well, Sala, but Weber, I mean, I think uh-huh. Weber is certifiably insane, uh, <laughs> And yet he's getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. You know, Greer, who is... Um, Oh, not the most wholesome of characters, let's say, <laughs> getting a lifetime achievement award. I mean, these are the life, these are the achievers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, that, that was, I mean, I think a piece of my soul died that day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you got material to work with for the next two years. I mean, let's oh, yeah, not forget. But much. I mean,
0: I, I would trade it in to have like honest people with this because it's, it's the weird thing of, you know, when you, you enter this field as an experiencer, it's like you want people to take this seriously because it's it affects your life, right? And so you, you enter it knowing that your friends who aren't into any of this stuff and only believe that you believe it, but don't really believe it themselves, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, you've got an uphill battle already um, just because of the stigma of what a UFO is and an alleged alien. Yeah. And then you see the people who are the masters of the field. And you think, well, wait a minute. There's no there's no solace here. There's no... I mean, where do you turn? It's like these are the people you're supposed to be able to turn to and that are supposed to be making this serious so that you can then turn around to your friends and go, look, there are all of these serious minds taking this seriously. This is serious. There's something real here. You've got to look at this. And there's not. I mean, it's just clowns. It's just clowns making money all around, you know? Uh, and so I think that was really disheartening and offensive, you know? I mean, offensive more than anything, and, uh, and especially because then these are the same clowns who will turn to you and say, when you have a, a a real criticism, they'll say, well, you know, we're all in this field for the same reasons. We all want to get to the truth of this, so why can't we all just work together? Why can't we all just get along? It's like, Oh, because you're a con artist. That's why, or because you're uh, dumb as a sack of wet mice. That's why. Like (laughs) we're not the same. We're not the same, you and I. And you're the one who's like on the stage, and you're the one who gets funding, and you're the one making a living at this, and I'm the one who's actually affected by it, and I'm the one who's marginalized in this marginal field, as Tim, but also rightly put it. So you know, I I would trade all the jokes in the world to be able to have like a real field full of intelligent, thoughtful people, not out to make a buck.
2: Yeah, well, you're barking up the wrong tree there, buddy. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. This thing, I just feel like ufology has devolved to the point now where the best people are doing the best work fucking not even in ufology, probably. You know, like Jacques Vallée said on the show when he said, you know, there are people looking at this, but they don't want anything to do with ufology, so... You're not really going to hear what they have to say yet. I hope eventually we do.
0: Yeah, I got into a little yelling match with Bassett after, uh, I believe, the second X conference, a little after party they had. And and he actually yelled and said, uh, you know, he was saying uh, it's aliens. He was once again reconfirming the nuts and bolts thing. I was saying, you don't know what you're talking about because part of what he said in his little fist in the hand rant was, uh, you know, Jeremy, I'll debate you on this anywhere you want, anytime. I was like, will? Are "You will? Ins- are you insane, sir?" So at the little after party, I sort of got into it with him, and and I, he, you know, I said, "Well, what do you make of Jacques Vallée's work?" And he's like, "Jacques Vallée is like Newton. He's outdated. He's he's done." How's really what? <laughs> like yeah, like like disclosure is the quantum mechanics of ufology, and Jacques Vallée is the Newton of ufology. When in fact. It's the reverse. Newton would be the nuts and bolts guy. Jacques Vallée would be the ethereal, something else is going on, we need to look into a guy. Yeah. So, you know, just on its face, he's got that backwards. But, I mean, this is what we're dealing with. And, you know, why is it um, that he believes that, really? Well, probably, to bring this full circle, um, because you can make money saying it's aliens. You yeah, can make money saying we don't know what this is, you
1: know?
2: Yeah, and you got to wonder if it's all kind of like a shell game anyway, because you know the government will never fucking tell the truth. So if you just keep telling people that if we keep trying, they will, like, you know, all I just, along. I don't the, get
0: why – how do people not think? This is what I don't get just about people. And Again, it makes me want to, like, raise a crowd of better thinkers is just what Jeff said. It's like how do you have a group of people all in a room talking about an unknown, and they will raise their hand – about this unknown, and ask the speaker who doesn't know anything about the unknown. So when is the government going to come out and tell us what they know about these aliens? When is that going to happen? What's the date on that? Well, as if all of this is already set in stone, and everybody in the room knows what they're talking about because they do, because they all believe it, but they don't believe it's a belief system. They believe that they are—they have the actual facts. facts. Yeah. And, It's just incredible, and this is what gets sold to them. And then to question that is to be the asshole in the room who's, you know, who's like, well, can we all just get along? It's like, no, you fucking retard. We can't just get along because you're conning people. For what are conned, and they want to be conned. That's the that's the thing that gets me.
1: Well, I, and, and and you know, but the thing is, is I I don't think they necessarily want to be conned. I think it's part of human nature that when you're faced with a mystery, you want an answer. And I think, unfortunately, in this, people have been so desperate for an answer for so many years. They'll take what they. I yeah. mean, the young the young people want these things to come forth so that basically the world will change as they know it into something they hope is better. Which number one, I question that. Yeah. Okay, if 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 anything, if any revelation about this subject would ever come to light, and be confirmed and be absolutely provable and demonstrable to everyone, that would be a problem. I think. Oh, uh, huge! Problem, but this, this is yeah. this, this is how the kids see it. You know, they they the young people see it as a way out of the mess that we're in. Uh, and I've, I'll say this. Uh, as well that, you know, the elderly crowd see it as, you know, they're looking for Wilford Brimley on a yacht. They're looking for a cocoon, okay? Um They want was some like idea... That wasn't
0: the thing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back inside.
1: Yeah. What is that? I don't know, but it's weird and pissed off. <laughs> um I mean, it, it's just um you, you've got these people that are desperately seeking an answer. And the problem is, in this, is that you have people out there who are perfectly willing to sell them the answer. Um, and, and uh, it tickles me to see certain proponents of, of all sorts of different thoughts on this. How, and what to great lengths they will go to prove their theory. All the connective tissues that they will draw lines to and say, you see this? Ah, huh? now you understand where we're coming from. And it all seems to, you know, the person who wants an answer. It all seems very plausible to them. I don't think they necessarily want to be conned. I think they honestly believe what they're being told because this field has elevated people who have come in who have a, a an interesting thought or are well spoken or dress well or speak well. Those are the people that are 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 the leading lights in this. And uh, and and for somebody like Bassett, I mean, they have no idea where he came from. I mean, when I got into this, there was Mr. Stephen Bassett. I never heard of him in my life. I mean, where did he come from? What's it, what, what qualifications does he have to even be holding a thing like this? Is it simply an interest? Okay, that's fine. But to stand there and pound your fist and say it's it's unequivocally, this is the facts. it's extraterrestrial? What? Who are you? Where do you come from? <laughs> I mean, this is the absurd factor to me is that, you know, we look at all this stuff, and, and we sit and shake our heads about it, but it's a circus. It's, it's, it's entertainment. For most people, that's all it'll ever be. It's a passing fancy. Um, very few repeat faces in the crowd that you see. You always see, I hate to say it, but most of the repeat faces you see are the women with the little lights on their fingers. and
2: Yeah, the and, freaky uh, people are usually the ones you see frequently. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: They'll, they'll go time after time. You know, and the bookwormy people who were just like, you know, well, I'm I'm very fascinated by all this subject. Uh so <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean like largely I mean there there Jeremy and I have thought about going to half a dozen other conferences out there and, and we always throw up our hands and go, for, for what? What are we going for? Are we going to get an interview with somebody? I mean who? Who's showing up at this thing? And I mean, gradually, little bit, little bit. We just said, you know, the hell with all of them. We're not going to any of them. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's the facts about these conferences. That you know, you're you're, you're going to hear somebody's theory. You might hear. Uh, I think Jeremy and I can both agree that the last X conference we had Graham Hancock and Colin Andrews, and those were the only two guests that I would have even thought about going to see and sit in a chair and uh, breathe up good air listening to. And that's it. And and even still, at the end of Collins' presentation on crop circles, where he basically dropped the bomb that um, he believes this has much more to do with human consciousness than it does any alien or any kind of you know supernatural force like that. Yeah. It's a pretty big thing to come out and say when you're in his position of studying these things for most of your life. For as much as he's lost to this, and it's been a lot for him uh, to come up and say that, that takes a certain uh, well, a certain amount. It takes a hell of a lot of courage to come up and say something like that in front of all those people at a major conference. And then Stephen Bassett gets up at the end of it and says, "Yeah, but it's only one cross circle was alien." Uh? Oh well, thanks. Yeah, you know that kind of thanks. You could have gone all business. conference and not said that, you know. Yeah, it's just you know. It, Unfortunately, anybody who goes there to speak who has something different to say, ultimately they're going to be marginalized just by being in that place with those people. So, I mean, that's just the way it is. That's the way it works.
2: Well, based on this story and based on my experiences, I'm going to have to say that uh, Jeremy Vaney and panel discussions are a dangerous combination. <laughs>
1: Very true. I was afraid we were going to be beat to death, I have to say.
2: You know. <laughs> then you should have seen the panel discussion I saw Jeremy a part of. I heard it okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you're just a masochist, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe. I, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I wish that I, I had the balls to stand up in front of people like that and just, just say what I think, and, and, and uh, I can do that if I'm the speaker. I was, I'm asked to be there, but just to get up out of the crowd and go up to a microphone and ask a question like that that you know is not going to go over well. I think Jeremy's got, you know, cojones the size of a camel to be able to do that. So uh, <laughs>
2: well, I was might I, I fire the shit out
1: of it myself.
2: I was just thinking that when you said the part about the lady that was like, well, what are you here for? It reminded me of the panel discussion I'm talking about at the Mystery Weekend last year in Massachusetts. 'Cause some person in the audience like like heckled Jeremy then too. You remember that guy, yeah. Jeremy? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, where he's like, Well then what about the government or some crazy you know and it was just like, Whoa, who who are you, dude? Where are you coming from, sir, in the audience? I don't know. So it just goes to show you the you know, the people out there, they don't want to be challenged on this stuff.
1: Well, it's because it exists largely as a religion for them. I mean that's I mean Phil and Broadner said that on our show that you know, he's kind of shied away from ufology to a certain degree because it's become a religion to people. And and we all know what happens when you lay question on any type of religion or, or, or doubt upon any religion that people have, belief system that they have. You don't get intelligent debate. You no, know, I don't think anyone's ever, I mean, it doesn't, this whole notion of ufology functioning as some kind of, uh, science or pseudoscience, I think that's a joke to even say that. You know, it focuses like religion. Um, and belief more than anything. I mean, you you don't, uh, you, you don't see a Catholic priest coming out of mass and saying to the congregation on the steps, you know, well, we really tore that Psalm apart six ways from Sunday, didn't we? I mean, you don't, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. You don't get points for being wrong in ufology where you get points for proving yourself wrong in science and, uh, and then postulating some other theory to, to pull on. That doesn't happen here. So I think, and what jeremy gets by questioning these people is the, um, the 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 venom of believers and and the um uh, the unquestionable loyalty that they show to whatever theory they may hold as part of their belief system and uh, and we've seen that for years in this i mean that's nothing new so uh, unfortunately i think it's only getting worse i mean
2: right you can couple that with the stagnation aspect i think it all can kind of tie together cuz At some point, Ufology, I think I talked about this with Rich Dolan, that I'm still, even having read his book, I'm still of the opinion that Ufology went completely off the rails like in the early 70s. And then, as he demonstrated in his new book, uh, then it exploded into a whole bunch of different little smaller subsections, crash retrievals, abductions, crop circles, cattle mutilations. It was like, I think because Ufology itself became broken, so it opened up to all these other little things that people were trying to fit into it to try and work in as clues, and then now it's just this big booyah base of weird shit. And yeah. we sort of lost the thread that started this whole thing in the first place, which was fucking unidentified well,
0: even then, unidentified didn't it seem like there were people studying it? Like, Linda Moulton Howe was studying cattle mutilations, you know? People were studying MJ-12. People were studying whether or not cr- any, there was merit to these crash people things. That's true. Who's studying these things now? Like, who is – I mean, there are people making up the stories, like on Open Minds Forum or something, where it's just like, you know, it's all about let's make up this sci-fi story and and rope people in with it. But are there any actual investigators that really investigated any of those stories? I mean, no, because it's not not about investigation. In fact, if you actually investigate something, then you're the bad guy. I mean, they don't want you to investigate anything (laughs) anymore. Yeah, it and it's ludicrous. And so now as we were talking about like podcasting, now it's to the point where it's like, well, if you're going to have this glut of shows, then eventually it's just going to be cannibalism. It's going to be, well, how can I differentiate my show from the next guy? I know, I'll just start fights. And, you know, we're seeing some of that happen now. I mean, that's only going to get worse. So what is this really about? None of it is about anything anymore. I mean, it's just people yapping to yap at this point i think and to maybe make a buck if they can um or to you know get some sense of fame or power or whatever and and that's not just the podcasters i mean that's also you know look at this um the source a junk <laughs> that that just got exposed with uh with the pickering brothers
2: I don't know uh anything about that what's that
0: well, it's, you know, that there was this, um, the, the lore that there was some sort of government, you know, US, uh, secret space program going to whatever planet, uh, you know, it's one of those. It's just one Avatar. of those. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Avatar. But, I mean, it completely came unraveled a couple of weeks ago um, because they got caught in a lie. And um, But it's like... Well, it got caught in a lie because somebody thought about it for, like, a second and figured out what the lie was. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it wasn't like there was an investigation into this, and that's what caught them in the lie. It was just, like, some observant person was like, wait a minute. He's saying he's he's talking from a top-secret naval meeting, but the picture from his iPhone shows uh, an open-to-the-public meeting at the YMCA, you know, or something like that. It was, like, that basic. So... You know, like, is Maccabee, is anybody looking into, like, Area 51 or Dulce or any of these things anymore? I don't think they are. I think it's just people setting up stories and getting people involved in them, like, again, like an online Dungeons & Dragons type thing. It's all ooh and ah, and look at what I can do with my imagination. It, it, it really is. It's like it's like a, a giant board game for white guys or something. It, it You know, unimaginative white people.
1: Well, people who don't want to work.
0: Well, set up by people. Set up by people who don't want to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, leave me and Jeremy out of this.
2: I mean,
1: I mean when you've got uh, when you've got a guy who's got a PhD after his name, and he puts out a photograph of a dude in his Bermudas and a flower tank top, I think, and standing in front of pine and say, "This is a giant alien. It's time to get out." I mean, there's nothing more to be said after that. Why would you even want to associate yourself with this? I mean, that's how absurd it's gotten. It's like, I'm, re- I'm ready to take a picture of my dog and say, look, it's an alien, you know?
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, put your dog next to a Matchbox car and say, oh, my God, right. a giant monster dog. Right. I mean, yeah. that was the equivalent of
1: it. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's even more, I think, Tim, what you mentioned about the stagnation of all this, I mean, um, and I think, you know, credit words too. I think uh I think Kevin Randall was the first guy to verbalize it in such a way that to say that ufology has become so stagnated because no one's engaging in any kind of uh different thinking or different I mean alert, I, I think to some degree Kevin was an inspiration for what we wanted to do and in that one article that I read that he wrote, um it's like, yeah, why isn't somebody doing something different? And uh why aren't these cases being Followed with a harder line, you know. Like O'Hare happened, and I worked on it. But after it was over, and after we got everything that we could get out of the image, and we smelled like something fishy might be going on, and it's an emphasis on a very big might uh, in regard to the photographic stuff. I mean, what do I? what do I go from there? What do I do? Yeah. Uh, who do I talk to? I mean, n- nobody wants to talk about that case. Nobody wants to. Uh, I mean. Christ knows, the uh, the baggage guys that were down on the runway that saw this thing, they've been admonished from talking about it. Um, if you get somebody who comes forward and says, I was there, how do you verify that they're who they are? I, it would just be a mess to try to even get anything out of it. There is no big Area Fifty One story. There is no big. I mean, Roswell's played out. Uh, Bentwaters is, for the most part, played out. All of these things are becoming classic cases, and they're so um, like
2: Stevenville and Phoenix Lights. You know, yeah, you know, those are which don't yeah, equate to
1: much, and yeah. and um, uh, you know, and and of course, it's those cases have been turned into circuses as well. So, I mean, the stagnation breeds. This whole, you know, Chet in his backyard with a couple of pine trees as an alien, that's where that comes from. It's just this absolute boredom and desperate, desperate need to put something out for exactly. people to become involved with. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's to make money or not is irrelevant. It's just, it's stupid, and it, it becomes an embarrassment to even be associated with it.
2: Right, right. It's what John Lear called on our show uh, UFO disease, where you just, you run yeah. out of shit, and now you got to start making shit up because you run out of shit. <laughs> like, like, you was he
0: confessing something? Or <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, he was describing uh, Bill Cooper. Now, Jeremy kind of touched on this this tangent here, and, and uh, we've talked about it off the air before, but we should probably discuss it here. What, I guess, what do you make of the just sheer number of fucking podcasts that have launched here in 2010? As a podcaster and as someone who's been in the podcasting industry, for lack of a better term, you know, for the last couple of years, um, I mean, is it as surprising to you guys as it is to me? Because I was, you know, it seems like every week at least one new podcast is launched so far here in 2010 to the point where there's got to be two dozen new shows, uh, so far this year.
1: I draw the tangent that it's, um, it's pretty much exactly like my profession as, uh, as an artist. I mean, like I started out with a brush and, a, and an ink pen drawing meat for a local supermarket <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that gravitated you know as technology advanced and came along, that gravitated into doing uh photoshop work for ad agencies and and all of that Now, as an art director i'm I'm looking back on you know um a career that I started when I was nineteen years old, and I see that technology unfortunately has afforded a lot of quote unquote designers. A job where they probably shouldn't have one. you know the the programs that are out there are great uh, for the novice who wants to tinker around with images, but unfortunately, it's given them an opportunity to get a job in a market that uh, I don't know that was slim at the start and um, and now as they were saturated with graphic designers, quote unquote, graphic designers, and most of them, I mean, I gotta be honest and say very few of them with any real training from an accredited art school and, and very little of them, uh, looking like, uh, anything other than the cookie cutter standard stuff that you, that just about anyone could do. And so podcasting, same deal. The technology is becoming easier to, to deal with services are providing hosting that it's effortless to record something and putting up, put it up and call it a podcast. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some great ones. I'm sure there'll be some crap ones, but just the sheer number of them—at least in our little corner of interest—I mean, I think it just speaks to technology becoming more affordable, easier, and people want to do it. Uh, I mean, that's that's my gut reaction to it. Is that it's just technology is a, is a becoming easier for people to deal with. I mean, audio editing used to be. Difficult and uh, time-consuming, and it still is to some degree if you want to do something decent. Yeah, but um, the technology has just uh, made it easy, and so people are doing it. Yeah, I just hope they don't and equate that with they're good at it. Well, that that is what will happen
0: because this is like it's like guitar, yeah. guitar hero at this point. It's like After I'm a master love. of guitar
2: hero, therefore I know how to play guitar. It's like no, right. you're actually an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. well, like I was saying to Jeremy the other night, we were kind of talking about all this. Like, it's troubling to me in the sense that, and I'll I'll cut the haters off at the past now, um, you know, it's not about competition to me. I could care less about that aspect of it because podcasting is on-demand entertainment. So people can listen to any show whenever they want. So if there's 30 shows or 30,000 shows, it really doesn't matter to me. But it, it kind of creates... For me, like an existential crisis, almost where it's like when the people who are guests become podcasters, where do I fit in all that? Do you know what I mean? It's like who, <laughs> like who watches the watchers at this point? If the guests are podcasters too, it it's, it's it it sort of creates a confusion, at least for me. It's probably not felt maybe by the listeners, but it's like, well, shit, now fucking everybody has a podcast.
1: Yeah, well, it'll be probably the same oversaturation that we've seen in a lot of, um, in a lot of creative fields. I think you're going to see that same level of saturation come up. And, uh, and eventually the ones that are good, will hang around and will have a, a following. And the ones who aren't, uh, probably won't for very long. Uh, I mean, I could say at least, uh, I mean, (laughs) what cracked me up was my current boss where I'm working now. I think it was, I don't know, a couple of Christmases ago, I, I, I did him a painting for Christmas and, uh, I gave it to him and he saw my name at the bottom. He's like, You painted this? I said, Yeah. Yeah, sure. And he's like, Oh, so you're like a real artist <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, I guess I am You know? Uh, so that that immediately just says to me that somebody like, like that who's who's not in the field of, of what I do and, and just knows to look at an image and 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 critique it or say he likes it or doesn't like it. You know, he doesn't view people who do digital work as real artists. I think you'll find the same thing in podcasting. I think someone will listen to you, and will listen to you know uh, you who the it. hell ever, and yeah, and say uh, <laughs> thanks, and we'll say, wow, it's just it's not even a comparison. You know, this guy really knows what he's doing, oh, I mean. this oh. person clearly <laughs> Now, you know?
2: now I feel bad. I didn't mean. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. What you mean. I, I, I didn't. I know. mean, it's like yeah
1: i think it's i think it's what it's gonna come down to uh, and it's gonna come down to the the level of guest i mean it, it it's also gonna i mean not every guest is going to want to be asked stupid questions you know so I have to believe that um, <laughs> some of these people will be so inept at what they're doing that this, that they'll they'll screw up the the easiest uh, person to ask questions to, somebody like, you know, how do you screw up Stanton Friedman? Uh, But I'm sure there'll be people who will do that. And so then Stan's not going to want to go on those shows. And so he'll go, well, yeah, Tim writes me, I'll go on. I I think that's your, you know, it's kind of like your defense against what you're talking about. Like, you know, why would they need me? Yeah I think because you provide the format that, that frames their, their work in a quality way. And I think that that means a lot when you're when you're saying that. So, I mean, you'll be defined as the real artist in this group, I think.
0: Well, I think, yeah. again, it also comes down to the audience. The audience has to be smart about what they, what yeah, they right. spend their time on because, uh, once again, I mean, you leave it to the podcasters and the one guy drawing hand turkeys and the other guy's Picasso and the hand turkey guy's going, Look, I'm doing art too. I did a hand turkey. We're on equal ground here. And the other guy's, Well, well But I'm Picasso. So it's up to the audience to decide whether the hand turkey is of equal value to the Picasso painting. So if there's a glut of stuff, I think, well, I'm tempted to say it will go away uh, based on no listenership, but probably the really dumb people will be so enamored with hearing their own voices that it won't even register to them that nobody's listening to them, just so long as they're talking, you know, as long as they can hear themselves. But they'll just be talking in a vacuum and and, you know, you won't really have to worry about it, I don't think. Yeah. yeah but, but I don't think – I mean, I think people who write their own books and, you know, all of that and are now starting to do their own shows um, – well, hell, I wrote a book and then did a show, so it might <laughs> talk, but, but, um, But I never really used it to promote the book, oddly enough. Um, but I think those people will work better bouncing off of someone else than they will – Promoting themselves through their own show because then it'll look like an infomercial as opposed to a conversation. Yeah, know? but I don't know. I, I don't have any faith that the audience is smart. <laughs> so, oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said it. I have no faith that the audience won't be like, "Yeah, that show is great too."
1: What come? You don't do those guests, Tim.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I really because everyone's the problem, right? We're talking ufology, so the problem is everyone. Everyone needs to to just get with the program.
1: here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why, right. I mean, and, again, and this doesn't mean everybody by any stretch. I mean, my you, views are not represented by Jeff Ritzman. No, that's as well. <laughs> it, it, it's not even that. It's the, you know, we can't sit around and say everybody's at fault. And oh, you know? that's not.
0: No, not everybody. Like, but there does have to be some amount of. I mean, again, it, like I'll just give you take it out of podcasting. Let's go to the disclosure movement. You know, once you go there and see that these people are lying or morons. Then why do you go back? Well, I go back either to have a laugh or to visit with you, you know, uh-huh. and for the one or two gems there. But there are people who will just go back and back and back because they believe it, and they're the sure. Who are buying it. Yeah. So that's the audience. Now that audience starts listening to podcasts. Are they going to be discerning, or are they going to glom onto the same old crap that, that they're used to? Right. right. I mean, there has to be some level of discernment there.
1: Absolutely. For any yeah.
0: podcast to mean something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think there are people out there that are, that are interested in saying, you know, all three of us sitting here, I think there are people out there who are interested in different ways of looking at this, looking at it in a critical way, um, going in completely different directions, unpredictable directions, and maybe making some progress on this. The unfortunate part is just what I said on the podcast uh, episode for us that I left on, which was, you're in the minority. You are a minority in this, if that's how you think. I think the vast majority of people are all too willing to accept any answer that comes down the pike, so long as it fits in with their own perceived notions of what's going on. So um, I, I think those who are open to any explanation or don't really subscribe to a theory, but are just fascinated by, even if they're fascinated by the social aspects of all this, that, that's great too, but... Uh, we're we're in minority here. This is not a field for us. And, and so when uh, uh, Tim, you said when when Dr. Galay came on, he talked about there are people working on this, but they don't want to be associated with ufology. What does that? I mean, what does that tell you?
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean,
1: you a, I mean, people have been asking me, are you going to write your book, even though you're getting away from this? And my answer's been, yeah, but I don't know if I'll publish it because why are you going mean, to? By the same token, it, that people that the, the Dr. Ballet knows about who are working on this and won't be associated with this, so you'll probably never see their work. To publish that work and to give it to this field is the equivalent of, I don't know, me painting an accurate, I mean, perfectly accurate representation of the Mona Lisa and then doing it in five years and then taking it out in the living room floor and taking shit on it. <laughs> that would be, I would I would sooner do that than than to... Submit something to this field. If I could selectively submit it to, 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 to people like your audience, our audience, you know, th- those kind of people, then I'd do it. But, uh, uh, and maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll just start a mailing list and do it that way. But, um, you know, to give it to the field at large for what? I mean, what is that going to do? It's, it's, you know, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to change anybody's mind. It's not going to make anybody think. I mean, you're not going to make any progress in this field. I mean, progress is what you try to do, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, because they they don't want that. They want the same old, same old. So so as we speak, Jeremy and I are building a flying saucer that will be flying uh, uh, with the aid of a crane to take photographs of, and we're going to be the next big thing.
2: That's right. Please well, don't put that part on the air. Yeah, we don't want to ruin keep the whole your, crane part. Yeah, yeah keep,
1: keep that to yourself,
2: right. And, I, you know, I should clarify, too, like, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Even though there's a glut of shows that have started in the last year, I'm not saying they're all crap or anything like that either. It's just, you know, how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? Who has time for that? I don't have time to fucking figure out which ones are good and which ones are bad when there's a new one every week. Well, I just wish podcasters would
0: ask themselves what they're in it for and be honest with themselves about it, and maybe that would help because if it's just like, well, I want to hear myself, or, well, I think I'm going to get famous and then write a book or whatever, you know. If it's some not real reason, then why do it? I mean, yeah. it's just not helpful. I mean, what is it that you want to do, help yourself or or help the subject or, or what? I mean, I just – I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, what is – is there not enough out there already well, that, that you're listening to these people on?
2: Yeah, well, the, that's the other kind of unfortunate part, too, is there's sort of this air lately of, like, well, everyone else is doing it, so I better do it. Like, how everyone all of a sudden had blogs. Like, it's like, well, shit, fucking neighbor Joe has a podcast. Dude, I better get going and get my own podcast because I got to keep up with the with the neighbors and stuff. When it's like, at least for me, that's not what this is about. You know, I didn't start this podcast to keep up with anybody or anything like that. So it's like it's like you don't have to have a podcast to keep up with the other sites or something. I don't get where you know that mentality comes from. But I guess it's from. Do you, do you the think it's saturation? got something to
1: do with the whole thing of people wanting to be celebrity? I mean, I, I keep thinking of that commercial while you guys are talking. now. this is just in from Facebook and Twitter out to get cute boots. Yeah, I mean, is that <laughs> isn't it? it is, is it on some level? It's that desire for celebrity. Like I- I'm watching Lewis Black the other day and he's like, if you Twitter, you're a fuckhead. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gives a shit what you're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it is true. I mean, is that, is there, on some level, I think the technology's there. It's easy. Everybody wants to be heard. I mean, that's a basic human tenant, right? Everyone wants to be heard. Everybody feels like they have something to say and they should be able to say it. But unfortunately, like one internet lecturer I heard say a while back, you know, the web gives everyone a voice, but probably most of them shouldn't have one. Well, that's the thing. I don't know how true
0: that is, but I mean, it's you know. Well, but it is true that that there's no there's no respect anymore or less respect, I should say, nowadays in general for craft and for what is actually a skill. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, when you have a level playing field like that, that that that's what happens. Everyone thinks. Well, I'm an artist. It doesn't, I don't have to go to school for that. I don't have to learn technique. I don't have to have a mind that, you know, works (laughs) properly, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, illiterate people who, I know of illiterate people who want to write books. You know, it's like, well, why come I can't write a book? It's like, well, because, uh, you can't spell words. And LOL isn't a word, you know, it's like, but this is what we've become as, uh, you know, here we get into our episode with Maggie Jackson, who wrote the book Distracted. I mean, this is just sort of the downfall yeah. of Rome at this point is uh, what we're seeing here.
2: Yeah, and it extends even beyond the paranormal field. So it's not like okay. this, It's just the fucking human race, man. They stink. It might
0: be an American phenomenon, too, of just the whole I deserve me, me, me thing. Yeah. And then having access to be able to express yourself at your fingertips, it's like... Having access to express yourself does not equal that you have something worth expressing. And let's define that. How about something that enriches the, the life of the listener? Do you have something to say that will benefit the listener or will in some way, uh, illuminate you in the process of saying it? Cause if not get off the
2: pot. <laughs> oh man. We've talked here for like two hours and, you guys have lives and shit, and I do too, so we'll, we'll sort of head toward the close here now. Um, okay. you know, you're taking the whole podcasting thing in a different direction, which I like, which is this user content, which we've already talked a lot about. So I guess just sort of give us a teaser on what kind of stuff people are going to be hearing from. Uh, it's still going to be called Paratopia, I presume, right? You're not going to give it a new name or anything like that, right? Right. So what can people expect from Paratopia 2.0? Uh, when it when it gets rolling in a couple weeks.
0: They can expect a listener interview. Um, the first episode is uh, Jody Heckman, who is a mud hog on our message board, uh, interviewing Dale Graff, who was one of the heads of um, Project Stargate, the rem- government re- remote viewing program. And I get to ask a few questions in there, too. And it's a fantastic conversation that covers almost – everything we've covered throughout our show, I mean, pretty much everything except the trickster gets covered in in that episode. So that'll be episode one. So I think that's the perfect way to start it off and to set the bar high. We also have another episode that is uh, purely a listener's story, which is absolutely fascinating. And another, uh, which is um, uh, uh, Dr. Rourke and uh, David Roundtree um, who basically uh, just started riffing off of some questions I had um, on our forum regarding their work with ghost research and wormholes. You know, how what is the actual sort of quantum mechanics behind what they're saying? Um, and so they sort of take it from there. So, I mean, it's still going to be the high quality and, you know, deeper questions being addressed podcast. It's just going to be a lot less of us doing it. And we'll come in and do specials every now and then but mostly it's going to be listener-generated, and I think Jeff and I will just sort of do the intros and the outros.
2: All right. Nice, yeah. Are you looking forward to sort of pulling back from being – well, you're still going to be producing, I guess, uh, pulling back from being a public figure, I guess you could say, in the field, although I'm sure you're still going to be, you know, public figures, but sort of maybe in a less prominent spot, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm fumbling for words here, but I think you kind of get, get the, the point of what I'm getting at here. Well, I think if it works, it'll be great. So I'm, I'm psyched for that. I think, Jeff, uh, and I guess you can
0: speak to this, but you, you've sort of told me that you've always had a problem with being in the limelight. You've never really, you haven't liked the taste of it that you've had.
1: Right? No, no, not particularly. Um, I mean, unfortunately, it's a necessary evil if you want to talk to other people and, uh, you know, in a mass communicative way, which I've always, I've always found it kind of like, you know, taking a survey or, you know, what's the best way to get a hold of people who look at things a little bit like yourself and, and that's that I that we've done. I mean that we've definitely attracted a crowd that um that's tired of the crap and that is willing to look at different things, even though we may not all agree at the same time. It's been a great tool for that. I mean I love our listeners that we've met and God knows they've supported us like crazy with all sorts of stuff. And I I feel horribly guilty for just kind of walking away from them on what episode 65 or something. But, um, you know, it's like when you step back and you take a look at at what your life's been involved in this and, and I guess the, the level of aggravation and frustration and and just outright sadness sometimes, uh, versus the level of return that you get, um, you, you find it sorely lacking. And so you decide, Hey, I'm 43 years old. Um, I'm going to do something else besides this, which isn't, isn't giving me a great return. Um, But as far as being public figure, no, I'm not, I'm not big on, uh, on that. I don't think that I deal well with people. I think I've, um, uh, I think anybody who's visited our message boards knows that, you know, I'll put up with bullshit all of one time. And then Jeremy will say, you know, you better watch it because Jeff will, Jeff will <laughs> drop the hammer on you in a heartbeat. I do. And I don't think twice about it. So I guess I'm just extremely non-tolerant in my old age. And, um, I just sick of the, um, uh, the constant state of alert and defense that you have to be on to be in this field. And, and so, I, you know, I, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm personally, my life right now is pretty sweet. And, um, uh, and all without, you know, having to do a whole lot of, of paranormal stuff. So I'm definitely doing the ghost thing. I mean, it's as early as next weekend. So <laughs> I'm still, I'm still in that, uh, still poking around that, that way. But I don't know. I, I feel like, and Tim, maybe you've noticed this. I don't know, but you get listeners who, who know there's a boundary between you and the show that you do. And you get ones that don't Yeah. and you get some that, I mean, I've kind of held this, this thing throughout the years that I've been online talking to people. I mean, I used to, I mean, I go as far back as early AOL and hosting chats on AOL for a couple of different forums that were on there. And I've always held true to the one thing that I would never say anything online that I wouldn't say somebody's face. And, um, and I think that that doesn't hold for most of the people out on the net. I think that they're perfectly willing to say whatever they want about you or to you, and I don't I don't react well to that at all. So I mean, I take probably a lot of it a little too personally, but it's that's who I am. I mean, I can't change that at this age. Right. Well, people think. Did that- you ever think that like they get a little too familiar with you? Like they don't really know you; they only know you through the show. I mean, that kind of thing. Like I get I get decidedly uncomfortable about that. Well,
2: Um, yeah, I think I I can see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm kind of guarded on this show more, but on the Lost cast, you know, I kind of let it rip, as Jeremy knows, from the Mm whale Watch story Um, (laughs) and the story of how I almost died eating chicken kickers. So I I sort of (laughs) opened things up a little on there. But on this show, I try to keep myself out of it as much as I can. But I know exactly what you mean. And it's sort of like I don't want to get into this like woe is me, stuff, but, you know, some people think, well, you're a public figure in this field, so you're open to criticism, and I mean, I that's can absolutely right. understand yeah. critiquing the program, but I don't understand, I can, like, like, leave it this way, I can, I'm fine if someone's like, but all of America sucks, that's fine with me, okay, I'm like right. my own harshest critic, so I can probably see exactly their point of view on why we suck, but, yeah, then all's fucking asshole, that's not cool, dude. Like, I don't get where, <laughs> like, I have a big disconnect there where it's like, what gives you the right to say that, dude? Like, sorry, I'm just trying to do this shit and produce it and have people enjoy it and put it out there for free. So if you don't like it, right. go listen to something else. Don't call me an asshole. Like, I don't get it. But what are you going to do? You know, oh, that's the I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing where, you're, you know, like I said, it's an enviable position that you guys are in because you... There are times when I want to throw my hands up and say, I wish I could go back to just being an asshole on a message board instead of, (laughs) you know, a host of a show that has to put up with the slings and arrows of... People
1: you don't even know, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Just people that, yeah, people that have nothing better to do than personally attack you. It's like, I don't need that crap.
1: Well, and I think that's a hobby for some people. I mean, I really do. I believe that that is... uh, I think there's... A lot of people out there who just thrive on negative attention, and I think that when you put yourself out there doing a podcast, I mean even something that's so innocuous is audio i mean it's audio, it's not like you're on t v or something you know, I told Jeremy, I said, My God, can you imagine like I mean we all sit back and we laugh and and we shake our heads at stuff like lindsay lohan and and all of this you know i mean we we look at like oh, God, she's such a waste case, but we do does anybody ever stop and think about the fact that that, that these celebrities don't, don't even live on this planet. I mean, can, can you imagine living that lifestyle, and then at that age that she is, I mean, can you imagine, like, it's done? I mean, I'm a millionaire. I don't have to work again. Yeah. Like, where's the challenge of the rest of your life? And I think it, like, it's, I, I mean, by no means do I compare us to Lindsay Lillian, but, <laughs> but just... <laughs> but just the uh, just, just the, the, the measure of celebrity that a podcast affords you in the neighborhood of a half a million people listening to you. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of people. Uh, and so in some small way, you do get that. And then you have to deal with what comes from it. But they, you didn't like bank on that. That's not like why you're doing it. That's where I had a problem. But I guess I was dumb and I should have expected this. And you know and and now that it's kind of reared itself i don't i'm not uh I'm not that happy on it and well, the
0: thing I didn't expect was you know like other podcasters coming after you, and we had a situation where you know we didn't say this on the show, but there was one show that went that that just you know praised the Emma Woods stuff in one breath, but then said, "Well, I think you know Jeff and Jeremy uh were manipulative with her in some way, yeah didn't qualify that, and the person who alerted me to this was Emma Woods who wrote me an email saying, did you hear this? Do you want me to write to this guy and tell him he's off his rocker? And I said, no, it's just par for the course. But she wrote to him anyway uh, and CC'd me on it. And um, I, I haven't heard a retraction or an apology or, or anything like that. And I, I'm certainly not expecting one, but I just I, I just think that there's so there's so many ways to come at this negatively, be it as the anonymous uh, person on the message board who has the hobby of being an asshole or the egocentric person who's jealous that they weren't involved in a case, so they're going to try to tear you down, or, you know, the ex-friend or whatever who uh, comes after you because now is their chance to get you in public or whatever. You know, all of these various ways, and there's really, like, very few ways to be positive <laughs> about yeah. it, which is just to, like, keep it honest and, and have an honest uh, interest in some of these larger questions. Right. And then you put all that together with the Internet, which, as Jeff has already said, is like has been the bane of ufology's existence, because I think it caters to the Id. it caters to the anonymous person being able to, you know, be an asshole. It's empowering to, um, you know, to people uh, who are sort of weak, you know, and, and this is their chance to bully. Yeah, um,
2: yeah. not to drag this out too much longer, because I know you got to get uh, going, Jeff. Um, but, like, you know, it sort of goes also into what Jeremy and I have talked about off the air, that thankfully it's a small segment of the audience and the community, but there's, like, people out there, and I'm sure some of them are listening right now, who Jeremy and Jeff and me and all the other shows out there, we're like just some fucked up reality show to these people, and they want us to fight each other. And they're always sort of pitting us against each other or going on one forum and then going on the other forum. And it's like, you know, thankfully my audience knows by this point that I'm not playing those games. And you guys have sort of pulled out of that whole scene too. But it's really just – that's the unfortunate part that makes me so annoyed with everything where it's like, listen, dude, like agitating me is not your fucking – your entertainment. And trying to pit (laughs) pit one show against the other and stuff like – isn't that
1: yeah. enough to talk about aliens? Like, what? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. At what point was that not normal? I mean, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. It's like this paranormal shit's boring. I want to see these paranormal podcasters fight each other. It's like, you know what? Dude, sorry, but I'm uh, not. I'm I'm not playing those games. This is bullshit.
1: You know the analogy that I come up with for, for trying to speak publicly about stuff is that um, number one, if you if you come across and you talk about things with absolute honesty, number one, no one will believe you, Um, which was never, at least, I mean, I can't speak for Jeremy, but that was never my goal, was to get everyone to believe me. Um, My goal in this was to find other people who go, you know what, Jeff, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I've done that. I've had that. So in a, in a way, I, I consider all this a big success, being involved publicly and speaking publicly and all of that. But... Being involved in getting doing investigations and then presenting your data and and trying to back that up in in an ironclad way that you know you've done the good work, it's like being in a cactus patch. It's like if you've got um, a needle poking you in the knee and you step back to address it, the next thing you know is one's getting you in the back of the neck it's like it's that kind of feeling, yeah with this it's like it, it comes from all directions and it could come from any number of people. Uh, some of them well thought of some of them a joke, but nonetheless, you feel this this uh this need to address it and but then you shouldn't, and then you should just go on and do your thing, but you can't help but respond, so it's like this Ooh, it, uh, it, uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's like you know how do I get out of this 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 patch you know and uh and and like I said to Jeremy, the best way to do it sometimes is just to study on your own and do what you know, relays, uh, contacts are doing is just to study this on your own, to draw your own conclusions to it, to ignore pretty much what everybody else says. I think everybody would be better off personally to do that. Just kind of take it upon themselves to like decide for themselves what's good evidence. And then not try and ram it down everyone else's throat. I mean, that, that, that seems beneficial to me. So, um, I certainly wish you luck keeping up with with Benall, and I, th- I think you're gonna. Uh, I think you're gonna come out on top of this this sudden wave of mediocrity that may be coming. Who knows? It could all be good, and then you know, everybody everybody does well with it. But uh, I don't know. I I just compare it to my own career and say, I don't know. I I think either way, you don't have anything to worry about.
2: Oh well, <laughs> so thanks, keep, dude.
1: Keep doing what you're doing. You know.
2: Well, you guys are primed to really uh, change the face of uh, paranormal podcasting in a big way. So I'm excited for what you guys are doing. So it's a mutual love here. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that what Aloha to Paratopia was supposed to be in the first place? Um, Much like Aloha to Lost, we didn't get any answers. No, I'm just kidding. Um well, we got a lot of bitching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got a lot of bitching. And, and, you know, it's all about the characters anyway, as Jeremy said on the last episode of Paratopia. And fucked him Wow, you pieces. listened. Of course I listened. Thanks. And so I want to thank you guys so much for giving us so much time and coming on here and really uh, letting loose and, and being open and honest with your feelings about a whole bunch of different stuff. And. You know I'm looking forward to what you guys have cooking. I think it's really cool, and uh you're empowering the audience, which is awesome and I'm hoping to see some really cool stuff from people. I know Sandy will not participate, but she'll uh, he'll be listening. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That, that one wasn't intentional either <laughs> and oh And so I know, dude, I do it when I'm talking to Jeremy, just not even taping a show it's It's embarrassing i don't even I feel so bad for Sandy.
0: It's embarrassing how much we talk about Sandy.
2: <laughs> it really is. It, I, it, Sandy's awesome. I know Sandy is awesome. I just wish Sandy was like a gorgeous woman because then she'd be enamored with how much we talk about her. But unfortunately, <laughs> Sandy's probably just some burly former marine who wants to beat us both to death. But <laughs> um, well, now he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I want to wish you guys the best of luck with the uh, new incarnation of Paratopia. You're sort of going against the wave here, and it's exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. And if there's anything I can do to help you out, I've already sort of passed along some folks to Jeremy to consider for future editions of uh, the new Paratopia. And Excellent. I'll be popping on there probably to promote some stuff uh, in the fall anyway. So uh, we'll be in. Not a
1: chance. You're, you're not getting the mic, Tim. Just stay where the fuck you are.
2: I'm a former guest, dude. You already extended I, the invitation. Oh, yeah. right. God I'm damn old. it, Jeremy.
1: What did you do that for? Right.
2: <laughs> and a former co-host. At one. There point. you go. So, <laughs> That's great. yeah. That's right. So anyway, thanks again for coming on the show, guys. And uh, folks can find out all about it at Paratopia.net. Uh, apparently, Paratopia.com is some kind of Asian porn. Is that right, Jeremy? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, Trying to stay <laughs> away from. That.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how Paratopia in in Japanese means you know small-breasted schoolgirl. Who knows?
1: Ah. Uh. <laughs> I should mention on a serious note while I'm dealing with these two adolescents that one through 70 of our podcasts is now available on Paratype.net because we switched to Cyberears.com. So go check them out. But, uh, you know, also, instead of just getting, what, Jeremy, the past 20 episodes or 30 episodes, now they're all up for everybody to get one through current day. uh, Nice, nice. That's a a big plus for us. in, in the recent couple of weeks.
2: Uh, yeah, that's so. awesome. So like people who are just discovering you guys tonight uh, or yeah. here on this episode can go back now and you've got 70 episodes to dig into, and they should do that. So the complete archive yeah. is available, um, you know, so go back and relive the memories.
1: Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, like Lost, uh, you already know there's no answers at the end, so it's really not worth listening to.
2: But <laughs> well, we're all gonna die, so. Yes, we're all. Yes, that's the big surprise here at the end of the show, that uh, right. Jeff, Jeremy, and I all died. So, but at different times. So don't worry about it. You know, we haven't died yet, but we're meeting here for the Paratopia Aloha episode. Anyway, as
1: long as Evangeline Lilly is there when I go, I'll be fine.
2: <laughs> Speaking of adolescence. oh Oh, man anyway thanks again for coming on the show guys best of luck with the new paratopia folks tune in paratopia.net thank you sir thank you sir that does it for this week's edition of boa audio season five big big super huge thanks of course to jeremy Vaney and jeff ritzman of paratopia be sure to check out the new incarnation of paratopia which will be coming soon to their website www.paratopia.net And be sure to dig into their archive. Tons of great episodes, including one featuring me as a guest and one with me as a co-host. So I pop on to Paratopia here and there. But there's tons of interviews there worthy of your time. So check out Paratopia.net. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback. And we're going to focus this time around on a little discussion that took place on the official BOA forum, the USOFE.com, T H E U S O F E.com. That's the official BOA forum, BOA's Paranormal Playground. And a little discussion broke out in the Paul Stonehill episode thread, and I thought maybe I would address it here on BOA Audio Listener Feedback. So let's dive in. The first thing comes from GT Talk and here's what he has to say. First of all, let me say I enjoy the show and the website, but I've thought about this for quite some time and have never brought it up before. Tim, you do a great job, but when you preview a guest, you give out so much information that I no longer feel any real need to listen to the whole show. It's kind of like the movie trailers that give the whole plot an ending away. Just wondered if anyone else has noticed, or maybe I'm just not listening enough to get it. Anyway, good overall job and thanks for the work and interviews that you do. And then later on, Area 51 chimes in, Yeah, I always just skip to the 10-minute mark and start listening from there. Of course you should introduce your guest, but I personally prefer a C2C-style introduction of about 15 to 30 seconds. It's probably the same with audio as it is with writing. People want dialogue, not exposition. Anyway, that's a minor gripe. Everything past the 10-minute mark is great, except the outro. I don't listen to that either. Oh, man, so he's not even hearing what I'm saying here. Well, anyway, thanks to Area 51 and GT Talk for bringing up this issue. I think there was a bit of confusion down the line because later it seemed to become a little more clear that GT Talk was talking about our lengthy recaps that we post at BOA, possibly. I'm not sure yet still what exactly he was talking about, but I'm going to talk about both those things now. When we started the show, originally, the intros and outros were like super short, so they've gotten progressively longer over the years, much to my chagrin. As far as the little brief sort of recap of what we're going to be talking about at the beginning of each episode, that's really just a force of habit. I've never considered uh, where it came from, or how I ended up doing it, or whether or not I should do away with it. So that's something that just completely lit a light bulb over my head, saying, you know, maybe I should think about changing things up a little bit at the beginning of the show. I mean, we have to do some in-house notes at the beginning, for sure. And the outro, I like to think of as sort of when we can all kick back, have a cigarette, and talk a little bit after the program, sort of the come-down from the lengthy interview. So I don't expect any changes in that regard. But I'm talking to the folks who are the hardcore listeners here who tune in every week. What do you think? Should we do away... With the thumbnail preview at the beginning of the show, I think that's really all we could merit eliminating because I do like to do the full bio of the guest at the beginning. But if we could cut it down somewhat, that might be the area we do. So, I don't know, we're open for feedback from folks on that for sure. With regards to the super lengthy recaps that we posted, BOA, that's actually one of my favorite aspects of the program, and it has sort of a secondary purpose behind it. Not only is it to provide a lengthy recap of the program for folks who are checking it out, not sure if they're going to listen to it or not, they want to get an idea of what's in there, but the big thing is that it really helps with search functions, and by that I mean let's take last week's episode with Paul Stonehill as an example. We talked about Tunguska, and in previous editions of the program we've talked with other guests about Tunguska. I believe I talked about it with Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop on one of the year in review specials. So like the whole point of these massive recaps is to provide a sort of super database of audio talking points for anybody who searched BOA and then wanted to go through all the different interviews to find the different segments, if that makes any sense. In an ideal world, we'd have it where you could do a search for Tunguska and then all the little segments from all the different interviews where we covered Tunguska would come up and you'd be able to hear them, but let's face it, that's complicated and I don't have the time or the technology to put that sort of thing together, but at least here now, You could punch in something like James E. McDonald or APRO, and then you're going to get a list from our search folks, and that'll tell you which different BOA audio interviews have featured discussion on those different topics. So I kind of think of the massive text recaps for each interview as going into a huge database of potential investigatory tools for future researchers of the esoteric. So little peek behind the curtain as to why we do what we do here at BOA Audio and on the website. Thank you to Area 51 and GT Talk for having the chutzpah to critique the stylings of the program. I really appreciate that. I do not take offense, of course. I know there is a segment of the audience that just skip right over the intros and probably aren't even listening to the outros. But to those folks who are listening right now, the hardcore BOA Audio listeners, we all know that the people who shut it off when the interview's over are missing out on some of the best stuff here on BOA Audio, talking about, of course, listener feedback and the fun hijinks we have here at the end of the show. On a similar sort of tangent here, though, I should say, That due to what Area 51 says and what GT Talks says, I'm considering sticking sort of a little mini-ad in the middle of the program where we do the BOA audio tag each week to try and at least reach the people who aren't listening at the end of the program or the beginning of the program and let them know we need donations because some of those folks aren't tuning in to the end to know that we need the donations and that you can make donations. And, of course, since these people clearly don't want to listen to me talk randomly uh, on my own, I'll try and make the little mini-ads short so they can't fast-forward through them. It's like TiVo here. I'm fighting an uphill battle all the time. Nonetheless, that may be a new feature here on VOA Audio. All you hardcore listeners who tune in to the end of the program, you can shake your fist in rage at the people who don't tune in at the end of the program because they're the reason why we've had ads the little mini ad. But don't worry, we won't be oppressive about it because I just can't stand oppressive requests for donations. You know I need your help. I know that you know that I need your help. There's no point in beating a dead horse. There you go. That's BOA Audio Listener Feedback here for this week. We'll try and get back to the classic stylings of BOA Audio Listener Feedback next week with pure emails, but trying to change it up a little bit here and there, add some different flavors to this segment. For those folks who want to get in touch with me and be a part of BOA Audio listener feedback in the future, here are the means to do it. Go to banalofamerica.com and click the contact button. That's very simple. Or just write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. That'll reach me by email. And the other method is, as discussed here this week, the official BOA forum. The U.S. of E.com. dot ecom It's BOA's Paranormal Playground. Lots of talk about the paranormal world, of course. Lots of talk about pop culture as well. We like to have a balanced diet of interests at the official BOA forum, and we're always welcoming new members, so come on over and join in on the fun. And if you're a part of all those different social networking sites, you can get a hold of me through those as well. I'm on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter. Just go to BOA. You'll find the linkage there to all my profiles on all the different social networking sites. No matter how you get in touch with me, if what you have to say is interesting or compelling or pithy, we'll try and include it here at the end of the program in a future edition of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Up next, of course, it is the thanks portion of the show. Allow me to tip my hat and give a hearty thanks to all the great BOA staffers. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Sena, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, A.M. Murphy, Marla Pena, our contributing cartoonist Andy Carollin, and our webmaster Jeremy Boston. Since the last time you heard from me, we've got three new columns posted at BOA. Leslie continues her discussion on stones and the esoteric elements behind them, shares a very compelling story regarding her use of stones to possibly cure back pain. That's Leslie's Grey Matters. Marlapena's Shadow of the Shinigami recounts her recent vacation to Marrakech, Morocco, including a number of really cool pictures from her trip. So you definitely want to check out Shadow of the Shinigami at BOA. Via Marla Pena. And finally, Medusa's Ladder from Rochelle Hawks looks at the trickster dynamics behind the TV program Hell's Kitchen. I'm a huge Hell's Kitchen fan, so this one was totally engaging, and I think folks who dig Hell's Kitchen will love this article from Rochelle Hawks. That's Medusa's Ladder at BOA. We got a whole bunch of other stuff in the pipeline from the BOA staffers. You definitely want to check out Benall of America, not just to peruse BOA 2.0, but also to read the columns from the BOA staffers. We say it week in and week out, but it is the truth, my friends. If you're only listening to Benall of America and you're not reading the columns at BOA, you're only getting half the story. BOA make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. I've already kind of beaten the horse a bit here regarding donations so there's no point in me harping on it how do you make a donation to banal of america there's two methods now of course there is the paypal button nice and easy just go to banal of america.com it's right there on the home page click that that'll bring you to paypal they'll walk you through the process what if you don't trust the internet i don't quite trust it myself but i'm forced to work within its confines but some folks simply will not do PayPal donations, but they want to help out BOA. How do you do that? We've taken care of that whole situation for you in recent weeks. You can mail a donation to our P.O. Box. Here is the address for that. Tim Benall, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass., 01866. And you spell Pinehurst, Pine, obviously, P I N E. Hurst, H U R S T. You can just put M A for Mass and the zip code once again 01866. And as always, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards BOA and BOA Audio to help keep the website and the podcast series up and running, freely available, and commercial free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next week on the program, I can't give you much of a preview because I'm actually taping the interview in a couple of days, but I can tell you who the guests will be. They are Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, joining us to talk about their new book, The Deja Vu Enigma, covering not just Deja Vu, but a whole host of bizarre mental states and the nature of reality itself. It's going to be a mind-blowing episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. I had a blast last year talking to Marie and Larry so I'm really looking forward to sitting down with them in a couple of days to tape the interview. It's going to be ultra fresh when it reaches your earbuds next week on the program. That's Larry Flaxman and Marie Jones, The Deja Vu Enigma on BOA Audio Season 5. And on that note, we close the book on this week's edition of the program. Once again, big, big, super huge thanks to Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman. Thanks to Area 51 and GT Talk of the US of e. for their input for BOA Audio listener feedback. And, of course, most of all, a huge hearty thank you to all the great BOA Audio listeners out there. You guys are the best, the fuel that drives the BOA machine, especially you hardcore listeners that stick around all the way to the end. You guys rock. Thank you so much for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Minall, thanking you for listening and signing off.